JPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 388. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show was recorded on the 23rd of August, 2019. Today's episode, the pilots of the Miracle on the Cornfield twin-engine flameout crash landing are awarded Heroes of Russia by President Vladimir Putin. A light twin crashes into a home in Unionvale, New York, killing the pilot and a person inside the home. More news, your feedback, and this week's plane tale, All Weather Heather. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in their upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. Flight 388 is ready for pushback. Yay! It is this week's episode of the Airline Pilot Guy Show. I am Captain Jeff, a captain for a major U.S. legacy carrier. And here with me today from his studio on the English countryside, a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, current captain for an international airline based in London, Captain Nick. Yeah, hi there, Jeff. Oh, if only I was still current. Oh, but you I know what? I... I was just reading the script. I forgot to change it. <laughs> just <laughs> Sorry. If only, uh, well, I suppose I could be since I don't wouldn't have to officially retire until the 9th of September. So I would have a few days left, but they're fast approaching. Uh, no, I'm I'm not going to climb into an, onto another <laughs> flight deck unless it's for fun. We can get you in the simulator and get you all, you know, re- qualified and everything else in just a couple of days try (laughs) (laughs) no thank you (laughs) no thank you quite all right well glad to see you sir uh how's everything over there um in england Uh, it's pretty good we're having a warm spell after a a period of uh, rather dubious weather the australians are over here uh telling us uh how to play cricket uh, which is uh, quite amusing, uh, but at the moment uh, they're in the lead and doing very well. Um, more importantly, I've got a small shout out. Um, I got a lovely email from uh, one of my old first officers, uh, uh, William uh, Will. Uh, those of us who don't want to use his full name, uh, who was on his way uh, in an Airbus to uh, Delhi. And he happened to be going through the Moscow control zone. And controller Vlad piped up and said, do you know uh, Captain Nick? And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I used to fly with him. So controller Vlad very kindly passed on uh, his best regards and warm wishes for my retirement. And I appreciate that very much indeed. Uh, Vlad, very kind of you. And here's a shout out to you and all the other Moscow controllers who looked after us so well when uh, we go through their airspace. Uh, So thank you very much indeed for that. And also a shout-out for my dad, Pop, uh, who uh, listens uh, and uh, I believe watches uh, the show regularly and uh, is still doing very well indeed. So uh, great to have you on board, Pop. 
and uh, you keep going. Uh, we're uh, hoping still to come out and see you before too long. In the meantime, I hope catching up with us on uh, video will uh, remind you of how ugly your youngest son <laughs> is. <laughs> and how and how good he feels about how good-looking he himself is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why I grab beard. You should hide all those wrinkles and old bits. Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah, Controller Vlad, big part of our APG community over there, representing Russia. Absolutely, yeah. I don't Great know if one. you noticed, uh, Vlad, if you're listening now, um, but uh, the the last episode, I put in a couple of your individual recordings of some of those Moscow airports. Now, I don't think I got them in while we were recording live, but I did uh, in post-editing. I uh, was able to get those in. Oh, yeah, I just listened to that show yesterday. And uh, they came through very well indeed. So thanks very much indeed for that, uh, Vlad. So what else have I been doing today? Well, tomorrow is finals day uh, in uh, the bowling club. So uh, having fought my way through all the various rounds, I'm at least uh, working to win two trophies tomorrow. Uh, sadly, the championship trophy, which I lifted last year, all I've uh, been able to do to that today is polish it in pre preparation for giving it back because I'm not in the final for that this year. That'll go to somebody else. Um, but I am in the handicap final, uh, which I hold the highest uh, number of shots I have to give to anyone in the club, which is uh, a bit tough. But uh, uh, So I'm playing that tomorrow and also in one of the pairs. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to uh, that and perhaps I'll bring home some silver. You never know. Oh, okay. That is fantastic. Can't wait to hear about the, uh, the results of that on the, on the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, fingers crossed. If I don't mention it, I think it's because I didn't <laughs> don't, win. We just won't talk about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so if he does well, we'll hear about it. If he doesn't, exactly right. well, we'll just move on to something else. And quite right, too. Um, Steph is going to join us as soon as she gets back from uh, work today. It's a Friday afternoon. We're recording on uh, the 23rd of August and uh, typical Friday afternoon traffic that she's uh, in right now. Uh, also, um, Dana uh, is not going to be able to join us today because he's on his Captain Dana birthday motorcycle trip ride, whatever he's calling it. Uh, I was looking on the uh, community calendar and he's got a big banner on there that says that he's on a, something like a four day adventure on the motorcycle with a bunch of other uh, fellow pilot Harley Davidson riders. So he is unable to join us today. His birthday, by the way, is tomorrow, I believe, the 24th of August. And hey, does that make him a virgin like me? Excuse me? Uh, he's Virgo. Is that he? Of, oh, he, he of Virgo the Virgin. I I hadn't thought of it. I I guess he. I is. don't know whether he is because I am, but uh, which yeah. is very apt considering the airline I worked for for so many years. Right. <laughs> I don't know what the crossover is in the horoscope. Um, if it's it's right around this time time of uh, month, isn't it? Like the twenty second. I I I would have thought so. Yeah. Now you were very uh, stalwart on our last show, carrying on not feeling well. Are you mm -hmm. are you better now? Oh, I'm so much better. Um, yeah, I limped myself home the next day and um, basically said, I think I can make it home, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to have the stamina to do that last turnaround. Uh, it wasn't a bad turnaround, but it was just, um, you know, going to get me home late in the afternoon. And 
and they said, oh, that's good. You know, we can we can get somebody else to cover the trip for you. you know, those last two legs from uh, Atlanta to Columbus, Ohio and back. And I said, thank you very much. So I just uh, went home and basically went straight to bed, took more aspirin slash Advil, other NSADs or what the, how do you say that? NSAIDs or something like that. Anyway, I don't know. Analgesics. It's a seasonal uh, affective disorder, isn't it? Oh, well, that's not it then. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure those pills weren't for that. Anyway, to try to get rid of my my, um, fever uh, and headache, and uh, it just wasn't going away. And I had the the best I could do with the fever reduction analgesics was to get to a low-grade fever, but at least it wasn't the – my fever was – or the temperature was in the 102 to 103 degree range. Uh, but don't worry, you know, I was looking at all the, um, all the, uh, symptoms of whatever I was experiencing. And one of the things that kept popping up was, uh, meningitis. And I went, uh, but the thing that they said about that was pretty common on for most people is like neck pain and the fact that you can't take your, touch your chin to your chest. And so I tried that and I could do that and my neck really wasn't hurting. So I thought, I don't think I have meningitis. So I decided to not go see the urgent care folks and just kind of lie low. But I was like that for several more days and so so much so that I had to uh, stay on sick leave for the four-day trip that I was scheduled to do this week. So I've been oh, home wow. basically since last Friday. So that has not Friday. been good for you. Yeah. That's tough. So uh, Steph, Steph says that they're NSAIDs. NSAIDs. Okay, that's the way you said it. say it. Thank okay. you. Um, so, yeah, I, I've been feeling pretty much normal the last maybe two, three days or so. So thank you for asking. I'm, I'm much better now. I know that some of you are sort of normal for you. Yeah. Normal for me, which is still kind of foggy and confused, (laughs) but my normal foggy and confused, not, but I had an enhanced version of confusion and fogginess when I was well, I mean, you should have been doing a cat three then. <laughs> well, I did uh, get my FAA physical this morning um, and uh, mentioned to the doctor. He has said, asked me if, if uh, you know, anything was going on uh, with my health since the last time he saw me in February. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, just a few days ago. And so I told him about the whole thing. I said, I'm just assuming it was some sort of virus. And he said, uh, probably so. And he said, but if you start getting those symptoms again, then, you know, you need to go and have it checked out because it might be a symptom of something more serious happening with your body. But um, the thing that he was looking at on my, on my charts, he's going, I know I've said this before. And he goes, knock on wood. But he said, so you're about to turn 61 this December and you're not on any, any kind of medication. And I said, yep. And he goes, well, hope you stay that way. He said, that's very, very uh, uncommon for somebody my age. So yeah, I think, That's I think you must be in excellent health, and somebody is looking after you. Well, I hope so. You know, I try. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I, I'm good for another six months with my FAA Class 1 uh, medical certificate, and uh, my next trip is this Sunday. I normally don't fly on Sundays, but I needed to pick up some time. I ended up having to drop a trip at the end of the month. And uh, had to pick up something, so leaving on Sunday, and it's a three-day. I get back on Tuesday. So that's pretty much what's been happening with me. Mostly just kind of lying around, uh, sleeping, trying to kick whatever virus was going on in me. And and uh, that's it. Nothing else. Yeah, letting your on. body heal itself. Well done. Exactly. 
Okay. Um, since uh, Steph is still not with us, why don't we move on to the coffee fund if you're ready? Yeah, certainly am. Certainly. Let's do it. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. All right. The Coffee Fund is your way, dear listener, to support the show financially. And if you're, if you have the resources to do so, uh, you should check it out you know, by going over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. A couple different ways to do it. Uh, the uh, Coffee Fund Classic Method uh, via PayPal, where you can make recurring donations or one-time uh, contributions to the show. Um, since the last episode, we've had recurring contributions from Terry Liu, Chris Randall, and David Lieb, and a one-time contribution from Randy Ward, who is in Italy right now with his wife enjoying a nice Italian vacation. The other way to uh, support the show via the Coffee Fund is the Coffee Fund patron method. You can become a patron of the show at patreon.com, where you, uh, pledge a certain amount per episode. And since the last show, no new patrons. So kind of quiet on that front. But again, if you're interested in helping us out financially, head over to airlinepilotguide.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. And we will too. Stand by for news. Sad news in New Orleans on, uh, well, just a few days ago. Nancy Parker, a journalist at Fox 8, which is a local news affiliate in New Orleans, was killed in a small plane crash. Uh, The pilot of the plane, Franklin J.P. Augustus, was also killed. They were uh, shooting a story in a stunt plane. It's a uh, Pitts, uh, 1983 Pitts S2B aircraft. And just shortly after takeoff, it crashed about a half mile south of the airport. And I read an update to the story that said that uh, the pilot had radioed the tower, indicating that there was some sort of problem with the engine. And the airplane went down, killing both um, Nancy and Franklin. And that's the only information I've been able to glean from that. But that's one of those um, high profile things that, uh, yeah, one of the sad things that you. Uh, read and hear about and you know you don't like to see uh but it looks like um you know she was m- making some effort to promote aviation and uh it all went bad and uh she was 53 years old and survived by her husband and three children it didn't say anything about the age and um family of the uh, pilot of the aircraft that is so sad, isn't it, Jeff? Because there she is just doing her job, but probably a, a complete one-off trip. Mm-hmm. And um, there, uh, the guy was a, a member of the of a Louisiana group that honored the 
Tuskegee. Tuskegee, Tuskegee uh, Airman. Yeah. Airman. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he was obviously well-known, obviously a good pilot. He had a fine airplane. Uh, and uh, just uh, awful to think that they both died doing something they they both love. Uh, but I guess if you're going to go, that's better perhaps than some ways. Yeah, true. Uh, instead of a long, drawn-out illness or something. Uh, but still quite a shock, especially young. I think the... Um, the pilot, uh, the guy that um, uh, supported the Tuskegee Airmen, uh, was a, was an older gentleman. Gentleman, not that that makes it any less uh, tragic, but uh, the uh, news reporter was only fifty three, and I I can say only fifty three because I'm only sixty. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, if we hear any updates on what caused the engine to fail, uh, we'll let you know. Uh, speaking of. Uh, engine failures. Uh, this next item B from the Poughkeepsie Journal.com um, and also the, uh, where, where do I get this? It's from the Aviation Safety Network. Um, a Cessna T303 Crusader, November 303 Tango Lima, impacted a residential structure on South Smith Road in Unionvale, New York, shortly after departure from the Sky Acres Airport in New York. The plane first departed from Montgomery, Orange County Airport, New York, then stopped to refuel 40 miles away at this airport, the Sky Acres Airport, before continuing toward the East Farmingdale Republic Airport in New York, on Long Island, I believe. The aircraft was destroyed during the uh, accident sequence. One of the three occupants aboard was fatally injured. Uh, the remaining occupants survived. Uh, the residential structure was occupied by three people. One is unaccounted for. One received fatal injuries, and the last one was not injured. Uh, there were also three dogs inside the house. One was found deceased. Uh, one puppy survived and will make a full recovery. And the last puppy is still missing. So hopefully they'll find that. Maybe it's still hiding. Um it was a, a twin-engine uh, airplane, as I mentioned, uh, Cessna T-303. And um, I'm not sure exactly uh, in the story here, did they mention what happened? Was it an engine failure? Um, yeah, it says <clears throat> not long after the six-seater plane left uh, the airport, it uh, had engine trouble, then okay. went down, apparently. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that is one engine, both engines, a fuel issue causing engine starvation or whatever fuel starvation we're not sure i don't know but the, the crash site's only two thousand feet south of the runway hmm. so uh it didn't get very far no it didn't so that's all we know about this one again the yeah faa and the ntsb will be investigating the cause of the crash yeah it's always tragic when uh people who really aren't involved in uh, aviation get drawn into an accident like this so the poor occupants of that house uh, very sad because um, mm-hmm. they're just sitting there going about their day when an airplane full of fuel plows in and uh, I'm particularly sad. Uh, you know, I, I, I've got a very big soft spot in my heart for for uh, dogs, uh, for any animals, because uh, us humans, we're often more capable of uh, getting out of the way or sorting ourselves out, and they're often left completely uh, vulnerable in these sort of circumstances. And the fact that uh, uh, there's a puppy uh, still missing is, I think, it's very sad. But, yeah. Uh, and, of course, sadly, I think uh, you've had a problem with your 
darling little dog, haven't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. Greta, um, the very, 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 very old um, dachshund that we um, ended up inheriting uh, after my wife's mother passed away back in 2007. I thought it was 2009, but she said, nope, we have had Greta for longer than her mom had Greta. And uh, we've had, wow. we had her for 12 years. And um, her mom had... Well, Greta was like 19 years old, almost 20 years old. Good lord, that's and, a um, age. her health, you know, I've mentioned it many times in the last uh, few months, have, has been kind of taking a, a nosedive, so to speak. And uh, mostly blind, mostly incontinent, uh, mostly deaf, and, uh, you know, not much, living much of a life. And uh, we learned the last uh, checkup that uh, she had lost a lot of weight and she was probably in pain because of the dehydration and the lack of eating and that kind of thing. And then finally the decision was made uh, that we uh, should put her down. So sadly um, she uh, is no longer with us. And uh, and if there is a doggy heaven, hopefully she'll be in doggy heaven. So uh, no, no more Greta. A a very sad thing for the the family. I'm sure I used to giggle when I heard her yipping in the background (laughs) and you had to rush off upstairs to go and let her out again. Yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, those days are gone now. But you know, honestly, she was um, quite quite a handful to take care of, as you can imagine. And so, in a certain way, you know, we're it's it's kind of a it's a nice thing that I think she's you know in a in a better place now. She's not in pain, and uh, and it's easier for everybody here as well. You know, as far as not having to take care of her anymore. So, absolutely, it, it's uh, often a very hard decision, but it's also often the best decision. Yeah. Yeah, and I know you know you've had to deal with this kind of thing as well this past year. So absolutely, yeah. For us, it was easy. Yeah. All right. Um, moving on to news item C. Wow, we're just really cracking on with these things here. <laughs> now, here, this is some uh, positive, some some happy news. You know, we talked about on the last show. It was breaking news. In fact, the uh, the miracle on the cornfield, we're calling it, uh, the uh, twin engine uh, flame out of the A321, and they crashed in the cornfield successfully. And uh, no, uh, nobody was killed in this incident. Um, this news item from the uh, New Zealand Herald, .co.New Zealand, uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin on Friday awarded the nation's highest medal, the Hero of Russia, to the pilot who managed to smoothly land his disabled passenger plane in a cornfield after a flock of birds hit both engines and knocked them out. The experienced captain, 41-year-old Damir Yusupov, said Friday that a quick landing was his only chance, and he was not afraid of handling it. He said he had hoped to circle the airport and land normally when one engine shut down due to the bird strike moments after takeoff from Moscow's Zhukovsky Airport, but then his second engine cut off moments later, leaving him no choice. He landed his Ural Airlines A321 so gently in the head-high corn that just one of the 233 people on board was hospitalized. People all across Russia have hailed uh, Yusupov as a hero. The accolades, he said, were embarrassing. It feels odd, and I'm shy, he said. Putin also awarded the Hero of Russia to the airplane's second pilot, 23-year-old Gregory, uh, uh, no, Georgi Mertzen, and bestowed other top awards on the plane's cabin crew. I didn't feel any fear. Again, this is the captain um, quoted. Uh, He told reporters in a televised interview, 
I saw a cornfield ahead, hoped to make a reasonably soft landing. I tried to lower vertical speed to make the plane land as smoothly as possible and glide softly. Uh, Yusupov hailed his cabin crew, who managed to evacuate the passengers. He also apologized to passengers for failing to get them to their destination, which was... Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he's very <laughs> concerned about... Ooh, sorry, yeah. I didn't really... I mean, that was what I was supposed to do, get you to Simferopol, uh, or what did you call it? Smurf... Smurf pole. <laughs> Smurf pole, yeah. <laughs> in uh, Crimea. Uh, I wish a quick recovery to all those injured, and I wish them not to be afraid of flying, he added. Oh, this sounds like a really nice guy, doesn't it? He does. He was absolutely. concerned about them, you know, wanting to ever get back on an airplane. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, if I'm on an airplane that crashes, I'm thinking, well, what are the chances of that happening again? Oh, Probably yeah. pretty slim uh, yeah. to done, right? Mind you, I've seen a bit of video of some bloke being struck by lightning three times oh, in a row. Well, so. Never mind that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mention it to the people that were on this airplane. Probably not a uh, good idea. <laughs> Let's see. The emergencies ministry said 74 people asked for medical assistance after the landing. Health authorities said 23 people were taken to the hospital, but all but one was released following the checkups. Um, let's see. Yusupov was the son of a helicopter pilot. He worked as a lawyer before he changed course and joined a flight school when he was 32. He has flown with Ural Airlines since his graduation in 2013, logging over 3,000 flight hours. He became a captain last year. Now, this sounds very similar to the timeline of uh, someone we know in our APG community, um, Captain Craig. Right? Didn't he? Absolutely. I think he graduated from college in 2012 and just uh, a couple of months or last month became captain for uh, his regional airline. And um, yeah, that's that's cool. Um, so it even happens over there in Russia where the people people get the bug. They quit a promising mid-career, uh, mid-life um, career and uh, go for a flying job. Yeah, definitely. Oh, it's a great idea. And if uh, there are anyone else out there with a pretty boring profession who wants to turn their hand to aviation, don't leave it too late. But, yeah. uh, you know, 32 is uh, is not too late at all. Yeah. Okay. Well, the article goes on to talk about um, a former member of the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board, uh, John Goglia. Goglia said the bird versus engine problem has been under study for years with no permanent fix available yet. He said a cornfield was a good place to land because it's free of big rocks and trees that could have damaged the plane. I mean, yeah, if you, I really can't think of much better unprepared landing surface to land upon than a, some kind of a crop like, um, like a corn field or something like that. Absolutely. And uh, there's been some indication that the uh, birds were uh, flocking around unauthorized garbage dumps near the airport. Oh, so, those flocking uh, birds. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Horrible damn things. So uh, I'm sure they're going to go and sort that out too sweet. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. They'll be right on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, perhaps uh, in the short term, they definitely will. But <laughs> They should. Uh, yeah, exactly right. But, I mean, they are a problem. And uh, whether they, you know, you've got an airfield near uh, an estuary or uh, they're just passing through, and that's often the way with uh, those big migrating flocks like uh, the Canada geese who go up and down the UK, and they're starting to head north already. 
So, uh, you know, and they're usually around 1,000, 1,500 feet. They can be a real problem. I know a mate of mine who uh, very nearly lost his phantom when he uh, ingested a bunch of geese mm. uh, on short finals, but he managed to get it to the runway. So, well done, Walter. He's now a very good uh, captain with British Airways. Oh, good. All right, um, moving on. Item D, um, a Delta 757-200 at uh, Ponta Delgada on August 18th, 2019. Hard touchdown causes creases in fuselage. Uh, this is from the Aviation Herald and Simon Rodatki. Um, let's see, it was flight 414 from New York, JFK, to... Ponta Delgada in Portugal landed on Ponta Delgada's runway 12. Uh, this was in the Azores, I believe. Uh, suffered a hard touchdown. The aircraft rolled out and taxied to the apron. There were no injuries. The aircraft sustained substantial damage, however. And uh, there are some photos here of the 757 with the very large wrinkled skin creasing in the fuselage. And, you know, I'm not an aviation fuselage expert, but uh, it looks to me like this might be it for this airframe. I, I don't know. I guess maybe that's something that they can they can uh, fix. I'm not sure, though. Well, I don't know whether it's going to be economic. That's the problem. Uh, yeah. yeah, they can fix almost any airplane if they throw enough money at it, but I don't know about the age of the aircraft uh, and uh, what its worth is now, but uh, that sort of damage is indi- indicative of uh, major airframe uh and major structural damage. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you, you don't get uh, creases and uh, folds in the skin like that without something severe uh, having occurred underneath. So I think you're right, Jeff. I think they will probably strip this for parts, and uh, it, it may well end up being, uh, you know, something that the fireman can practice on. Mm-hmm. Or maybe right. um, beer cans. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or I'm sure if you... Uh, <laughs> If you look at that uh, website that sells you uh, bits of airplane, mm. you'll be able to see uh, uh, a 757 200 there. Uh, you can buy some of the skin and have it on as a bag tag. There you, there you go. go. That's possible. Now, looking at the weather conditions there, um, let's see. First of all, uh, 838Z, that would be probably early in the morning for that flight, would it be? Um uh, yes, it would have been early in the morning, but not a not a conditions I would consider um, difficult, other than the wind varying a little bit. Yeah, but, but not, not a lot of wind, really. No, only twelve knots, mainly across, so, mm-hmm. steady, uh, and uh, no sign. Uh, a, um, what's that? Scattered um, tea, or is that supposed to be scattered? Uh, uh, yeah, few scattered. A thousand scattered at four thousand. I thought for a minute it might be uh, towering, but it's not. No, just so regular it scouters. There's no mention of any uh, cumulonimbus uh, or anything. Nope, nope. no, no build up. So uh, no gusts. Yeah, I, nope, I would have said that's fairly benign. Mm-hmm. So it sounds to me like it might have been a handling problem. Yeah, or perhaps there was a fault with the aircraft. I don't know. You never know. But anyway, uh, nothing really stands out to us as far as extreme weather conditions here. No. Nope. Uh, Going back to the, uh, you know, the the possibility of, you know, whether that airframe is going to be used again or, you know, repaired or scrapped, um, I guess maybe another consideration would be whether or not it 
ruptured any of the pressure bulkheads of the airplane. And if that's the case, I hear that that's pretty much the death knell. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, almost certainly. Uh, you don't really want to, oh, I, I hate to think of flying an airplane with uh, a repaired uh, bulkhead because, uh, you know, you think of the accidents that have occurred mm-hmm. uh, years down the road uh, with aircraft that uh, where the pressure bulkhead has eventually fatigued and failed, some awful accidents. So I, I'm supposed if they do everything fine, and Boeing are pretty good at that sort of thing, uh, they'll come up with a fix if they want one. But the other thing is, uh, you know, who's going to go out there to fix it? Uh, it's it's not like it's a, near a major maintenance center, so mm-hmm. uh, it may not be even worthwhile sending the guys out there. Right. Oh, look at this. Whoa! It's a lobster eater. Yes. <laughs> you hear that music? That means... From her lakeside studio in South Carolina, she's a doctor, skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated pilot. We know her as Dr. Steph. Hey guys, good to see you. Hi Steph. Thanks for, uh, thanks for waiting to start the show for me. Oh wait. Just <laughs> You're welcome. Kidding. Yeah, no problem. We just started the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Right, I'm right on time. No, we knew I would not be here on time. Yeah, come on now. We had planned it that way, right? I know. We did. We did. We did. I'm just making me feel bad. Just kidding. (laughs) Well, how are you? you I'm good. I'm good. Just um, finished up with work and uh, looking forward to relaxing and not doing work for a couple of days. So, excellent. Looking forward to a great show tonight. Hey, has uh, anything unusual um, or interesting happened with you, let's say, between now and the last uh, time we recorded the show last Thursday? I don't think so. No, okay. No. Well, then let's move on with item. Um, <laughs> no, I think Hang I wasn't able to be on the show last Thursday. Yeah, well, you know, we, we had some issues, some technical issues with this uh, new uh, streaming service that we're experimenting with. and But luckily, hey, we can hear her today, so that's good. Of course, it was Bonus. you were yeah. uh, you were uh, panelist number four last time, so hmm. uh, hopefully uh, you know who knows what what's going on. But uh, that's that's the uh, don't be number four. Yeah, don't be number yeah. four. <laughs> okay, um, I got it. Yeah, but I can hear you just fine and see you just fine, and uh, that's that's good. That's good. Uh, so yeah, we were having issues with adding stuff, and but you know honestly, we weren't going to have stuff on with us very long anyway because she had was busy in final preparation for this big trip that she was undertaking. And um, I'm assuming that that all happened. And why don't you tell us about it? Sure. I'd be happy to. I did put out a couple crew logs. I have one left to do to kind of tie it all up, but uh, I might get to that a couple of years from now. Three crew Three. logs were published. Oh, Can you God. believe it? You're, you're like a Lon- you're like I mean, London, were, London buses. Ones. You <laughs> don't like, see one for years and then three come along at once. <laughs> Hey, take what you can get. You know? <laughs> I'm like, not complaining. Don't complain. <laughs> no, <I'm not. laughs> um, yeah, so this was a kind of um, just a funny thing to do, fun thing to do. Um, for a long time, my dad and I have been going back and forth between um, who will be the first person to put their feet on the ground in all 50 states. And for a very long time, he's been in the lead um, by quite a bit. He has only had the state of Hawaii for the past several years. That he actually needed to get to, which doesn't sound that difficult, but Hawaii is a long way from the east coast of the United States. So um, finally, he um, the opportunity came up, and he booked uh, booked a flight. And I said, "Oh, 
okay, uh, where does that leave me in this race? Oh, I still have 11 states to get to. Now, honestly, so, at that point, I would have said there is absolutely no way that I could possibly yeah, compete put my at this hand point. Up, God, okay, yeah. you win. Have a no, beer or whatever. Never. Never, it's not stuff. Never give up. Never, never say never. Never surrender. Never die. No. Uh, so I started looking. I'm like, well, all right. Well, they're kind of all in a row, I mean, and by in a row, I mean all the way across the country. So that was Oregon, sort of, Idaho, Montana, North and South Dakota, Oklahoma, Kansas, Mississippi, Kentucky, West Virginia, and Maine. I think I got them all. Is that 11? Uh, it, it, did that include Arkansas? No, I've already been to Arkansas. Oh, okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I think Arkansas is a different country. <laughs> That's I'm the 53rd sure. state. Sure. But yes. No, no, I've been to Little Rock for a conference, actually. Good times. Oh, yeah. Oh, one of those. Conference. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the goal was to get it done in a weekend because he was arriving in Hawaii on Sunday evening. I think local time in Hawaii at the time he arrived was like 7.20 or 7.50 p.m., which is like 1.20 or 1.50 in the morning the next day here on the East Coast. So that was my deadline. So I left here um, almost immediately after I talked to you guys on Thursday last week, and I took a flight out to Portland, Oregon, which I decided was going to be my starting point. And then the, the following day had a series of flights that took me to Idaho, Montana, and North Dakota with intermediate stops at, through Seattle and Salt Lake City. <laughs> okay. Can't get from one of those states to the other very easily without going through kind of a, a major hub city. And once I got to North Dakota, I rented a car and drove to South Dakota and back just to say I'd been there, which was about an hour's drive each direction. And spent the night in Fargo, North Dakota, got up the next morning, another series of flights. Went to that took me to uh, ultimately Wichita and Memphis. I'll get to why I went to. You're saying wait, stuff. Memphis is in Tennessee. That's not a state that you need to go to. I'll get to that. So to get to Wichita, I had to go through Denver. So I had a nice uh, little stopover in Denver. Uh, I got to Wichita, which is in Kansas, which was one of the states I needed. Same thing as like in North and South Dakota. Rented a car, drove to Oklahoma, turned around, went back to the airport in Wichita. And then I was going to go to Memphis, which is actually very close to the border of Mississippi and also Arkansas or Arkansas, as Nick likes to call it. But I didn't go to Arkansas or Arkansas even. Uh, flew from Wichita <laughs> through Dallas to get to Memphis. And my plan from there was to rent a car, drive south across the border into Mississippi, drive overnight through part of uh, Tennessee all of Kentucky and into West Virginia, Virginia, excuse me. I was going to go as far as Huntington, West Virginia to catch another flight, which would ultimately take me to Maine via Charlotte and got off the plane in Memphis and found that my flight from Huntington, West Virginia to Charlotte had been canceled. So that was not a good thing. Boo. <clears throat> Boo. So, um, uh, which airline canceled your flight? American Airlines. Boo. Boo. Or uh, probably. <laughs> I'm not sure which regional. Probably it was. A, yeah, regional. Yeah, affiliate. it was a regional for sure, and I don't remember which one. Doesn't matter. So anyway, um, they said, "Well, no worries. We've already um, saved you a seat on this other flight if you would like it." 
leaving from Charleston, West Virginia, going through D.C. and getting to Portland, Maine at like 4.30 in the afternoon on Sunday. I said, well, that's not really ideal because I have plans in Maine. My, my, my plans were to meet up with Micah, who lives in Portland, spend the day with him, um, do some sightseeing around town, have some of the aforementioned lobster, some nice local beers. I was like, well, if I get there at 4.30, I'll have time to catch my flight back home, but not enough time to do anything. So I started looking real quick. This is all while we're like taxiing to the gate. And uh, before I even get off the plane, I see that there's a flight out of Charleston, West Virginia. At the same time as my original flight was supposed to leave out of Huntington, which is like 5.30 in the morning. Except that I had given myself enough time to drive to Huntington. Charleston is like another hour east. I'm like, well, R- rent a faster car. Rent a faster car. <laughs> well, there's, there's the other problem. So I was supposed to return the rental car to Huntington, West Virginia. Ah. So I'm like, well, okay, well, this is only going to work if I can take the car to Charleston instead of Huntington. That was originally a one-way rental. It was anyway, a one-way right? rental. Yeah, okay. correct. So I get to the rental car counter. I said, hi, um, I have a reservation, but I need to make a change. And the guy goes, oh, are you taking it out of state? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, no, 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 you have to call. I'm like, I was already taking it out of state. I'm not changing the state. I just need to change the city. He's like, oh, okay, we could do that. And then it was like a geography lesson for this poor kid trying to get him to know where Charleston, West Virginia was. Because he took a look at my- Does he not come from America? Yeah, he does. (laughs) (laughs) The problem is there's more than one Charleston. I thought perhaps he was some poor immigrant. No, when you say like Charleston in this country, most yeah. people think of South Carolina. South Carolina. And then it add, only added to his confusion because I handed him my driver's license, which says South Carolina. So he was very unsure where I was trying to go for a few moments there, but we got it all squared away. <laughs> like, okay, I really don't have time. He's like, he's like, how about this car? I was like, that's fine. I don't even think that's what I rented, but I don't care. I don't have time to like argue this, like just have to get in the car and go. Um, so I did that, made my stop in Mississippi. And then I was like, okay, I've got just under eight hours. And I'm looking at the time. I'm like, that puts me there like an hour before my flight leaves, barely, if I don't stop. I'm like, I'm going to have to stop because I'm going to need gas. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need like a physiologic break, I'm sure. I'm not going to eat, apparently. <laughs> I had plans to like stop in, stop in, um, where was I going to stop? Somewhere in Tennessee, Nashville, maybe, and get food. So I tossed those plans out the window. So, yeah. You uh, could have gone to the biscuit gravy breakfast place we went to. Yeah, the Nashville Biscuit mm. Company. company <laughs> at like yeah. 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night. Yeah. Oh, they're 24 hours a day. Oh, okay. Fair enough. So, But uh, long story short, I made it. Um, shout out to uh, Dispatcher Mike for, uh, he was at work. He chatted to me for a while during that drive, which was very helpful in keeping Kept me awake. awake. Mm-hmm. Because I'll tell you what, most of that drive in Kentucky was along the Bluegrass Parkway, uh, which is different than the Blue Ridge Parkway. And there were not a lot of vehicles out there from the hours of 11 p.m. to about 3 a.m. A little quiet? Very quiet. Well, Very that's quiet. good. You could do 150 miles an hour. No, <laughs> no, no, because there were still plenty of state troopers <laughs> all along the way. Yeah, uh, then so, they count as people. Also, I was really terrified about, about hitting wildlife because I passed lots and lots of deer, not mm. too far from the side of the road. So there was no speeding. I did drive. All right. Very good. Little speed limit. And got to Charleston, West Virginia. Returning the car was a breeze because there was no one there to actually 
talk to because they weren't open yet. So I just left the car in the parking lot, put the keys in the key box, got to the uh, the TSA check-in, and it looked like there was only one line. It wasn't terribly long, but it wasn't moving. Like, okay. And then after standing in line for like three or four minutes, all of a sudden one of the, um, wasn't even a TSA officer. It was, uh, gosh, who was it? Just like some security personnel in the airport was like, oh, by the way, there is a TSA line, like way, or a pre-check line way over here that you can't see from where you are if you have pre-check. And I was the only person that moved. I was like, great. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Excellent. Um, So yeah, made my flight no problem. Promptly passed out. Don't remember any of that flight. Spent a couple hours in the Charlotte airport, which was great because I just dropped my bags back at my car. And then I went back to the lounge, found a nice comfy chair, slept for a couple hours, got on my next flight, and spent the rest of the day in Portland, Maine with Micah. Eating lobsters. Lobsters. Well, you know what? I think we might have actually some audio regarding that. Shall I I play it? Sure. Okay. Here we go. Well, there's only one way to start this, and I've just got to tell all APG listeners that Dr. Steph has a great piece of tail. Okay, let me explain that. I'll let Steph explain that. I think you're referring to the three lobster tails that I uh, just consumed. Absolutely, positively. You just managed to do it. I think you may have even outperformed our good friend Captain Al. You have eaten three entire lobsters, plus... Plus a few of the clams. I didn't quite get through all of them, but I had to try them. I mean, I'm here. I'm in Maine. Might as well, right? Absolutely. And you should just take a bite of the corn just to say you had the complete thing. I will do that. Definitely. So, yes, it's Dr. Steph, and it's your main man, Micah. And we are here at Ocean Farms here in Gorham, Maine, the scene of the crime where Dana and I last met. And now where I have brought Dr. Steph, who is a lobster eater extraordinaire. Yes. To be fair, though, I have never had authentic Maine lobster like this before. It's always been in a, I hesitate to even say in here, like red lobster or better legal seafood, Um, but not necessarily, not the same experience at all. This is, this was very special and wonderful. And thank you very much for the recommendation and bringing me here. Well, fortunately, the restaurant is pretty close to empty so that no one has heard you say that. But lobster is very much like surgery. Did you notice? It's see one. Do one, teach one, and now you're ready to teach. It absolutely is. Um, It was definitely an educational experience for me because, as I mentioned, my previous, uh, even though it was fairly extensive uh, lobster experience, has all been at uh, prepared-for-you establishments. And this is definitely the authentic deal where you just have the lobster and yourself, and you got to figure it out. Now, just one last thing, because this is going to be very short, but what we really need to say... It's what you're doing in Maine, and what does Maine mean to you in terms of the number 50? So Maine, oh, I was going to say something about it being last place here, but that's not fair at all. Uh, let's let's rephrase, shall we? Um, no, this had to do with a little trip I took this weekend in, in an attempt to put my feet on the ground in the 11 states that I had not yet been to. So I started uh, three and a half days ago, Thursday evening in Portland, Oregon that other Portland, which maybe we perhaps should not say anything else about, and ended here today in Portland, Maine, with you. And it's so wonderful to see you. It's only been a few hours, but we've had a great experience. Glad to be able to watch you eat some lobster, which we have some photos of. We don't know if Jeff will use them or not, but we'll, we'll certainly send them to him. And 
thanks so much for coming to visit. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having the uh, making the time to um, show me around today and for um, the few hours of good conversation. And uh, we'll have to do it again sometime because this was not nearly enough time to catch up and enjoy each other's company. And hopefully we will. So as I sign out, specifically for Pilot Pip, this is your not creepy main man, Micah, <laughs> signing off. And it's Dr. Steph for the airline pilot guy. Nah, he's just jealous, that's all. Pip, I'm talking about. I love about. that. Yeah. I love that. And if Steph wants to say anything, she's going to have to press the button. You mean that mute button? Yeah, that's the one. Well done, <laughs> Steph. It's, it shows up in a different place on this new uh, yeah, angle stream yard. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, it's like right in front of me, but I'm looking for it like in the corner. <laughs> it's just too easy. Yeah. No, that was a wonderful time. And again, my thanks to Micah for uh, showing me around and for um, accompanying me while I had to try the authentic Maine lobsters. And we had a very nice, uh, you saw the other picture there was from a local brewery. Good beers. Good IPS. Excellent. Three lobsters. Uh, so yeah. did you have them with butter or what? No. Well, I mean, there is butter on the side, like melted butter that you could dip or spread on it. Well, I hope to help them that, slide right? down. Hmm? I'm sorry. I, I hoped... I hope that you use that melted butter. A little bit. Okay. I mean, you really, the, the lobster itself is so good, you don't really need to add much to it. No. Good point. So that's something I've yet to do, and I would love to. Uh, and in fact, I think Jilly and I will probably head out that way one day, because uh, I think it'd be a lovely idea. Well, we oh, know somebody should. that's a very gracious, hospitable host. Oh, really? Yeah. Who's that? I can't think of his name, <laughs> but lives up in that area somewhere. I can highly recommend. Excellent. Not creepy, Micah. Definitely not creepy. <laughs> um, I was going to say something else. Too. Oh, I was going to say um, my dad did make it to Hawaii. Okay. He arrived Too late. Time. Too late. She <laughs> Too cried. Late. I almost feel bad. Like a little bit. So now no, what, you don't. what would have kept him from, if, if it were me, if, if I were your dad. Yeah, I was just left a couple of days early. That's when I changed my plans and said, oh, oh you yeah. think you're going to beat me? I'll leave oh, I... on Thursday or Friday instead of Sunday. This is why whatever. I did not divulge my plans in advance. Oh, I would have figured it out. What, doesn't he listen to the APG? Apparently not. <laughs> no. No. Well, that'll teach him. Well, I mean, I did have sitting on my, um, he apparently did not venture into my office, which sometimes he does because there's filing cabinets and stuff up here. Um, I don't know where it went, but I did have like little scraps of paper where I had been um, writing down flight numbers and times, like all over the place. <laughs> you probably I had one knew. somewhere here where I had it like all written out. Well, did he really like fun. wonder where you were like on Thursday night, Friday, you're not there all day? No, because what he had done, he left earlier in the week because he made it kind of into oh. more of a road trip. He went out to oh. out west to see some family members for a couple of days. So he was not here. Well, you see, I would have given you a false date when I was going to arrive at Hawaii and let you think you had more time and then I'll just pitch up and go I'm here. Yeah well so the competition starts again though because now he has officially been to one more Hawaiian island than I have. Oh god. So now really? I'm behind again. Oh, no. to, to Hawaii, to island? He's been to more Come Canadian on. provinces than I have. Oh. He's landed at more. How about countries? I bet you've been to men, uh, more. No than, I've been to more countries. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. There are more competitions to be had. Don't worry. (laughs) Fair enough. 
Well, we know I'm you, right. Steph. There's always a competition to be had. Yeah, and I'm kind of glad I'm not part of your family because I don't think I could cope with this. <laughs> oh, it's all in good fun. All I'd be good going, fun. okay, I bet. whatever. I bet. You win. <laughs> yeah. But if anyone needs reviews of, um, you know, uh, airline experiences, I flew three different airlines, multiple different aircraft types, and I feel like I should do a... Is Nev doing his passenger experience thing anymore? I don't think he is. I haven't heard oh, of him. Oh, well, I'm sure he'd do one for you. He'd be do delighted. <laughs> like 737, CRJ 900, CRJ 200, <laughs> CRJ 700. I did fly on an MD 88. Oh, good. brilliant. Well, I yeah. hope it was a good experience. Yeah, it was good. I think. I Were you down the back with the noise or no, out the front? No, no, as a front. In whisper quiet <laughs> yes. mode. Yes. Yeah. Well done. Oh, well, that's brilliant. Congratulations, anyway. And, yes. and well done. I don't suppose there are that many folk in uh, the United States who've actually managed to do what you've achieved. Uh, you know, stand mm, on. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not as states. common as you would think. Although some people, um, their definition of to visit a state is somewhat different than, you know, just the geographical put your feet across the border type of thing. But mm -hmm. rest assured, I'll probably go back to most of those places at some point, see more stuff. Even Arkansas? I I saw enough in Arkansas. I saw okay, a little rock. <laughs> it is a beautiful state, actually. It is, actually. And actually, one of my good, very good friends, and actually my very first flight instructor, they live north of Arkansas. Um, and I've been meaning to go visit them. Or north of Little north Rock. North of Little Rock. In yeah. And, so and the Ozarks? Uh, maybe. Or up that way? Up that way. Yeah. 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 It looks like beautiful. Uh, it is. Beautiful area. It really is. Well, excellent. We're, we're so happy that you uh, won the challenge and uh, that you're safe and sound and you didn't kill yourself trying to beat your father. No, no. Okay. All oh. the appropriate safety precautions were taken. I'm not sure what they were, but. Excellent. And not second. one speeding ticket. We're impressed. Nope. Okay. Shall we, uh, we didn't really have a big intro uh, segment. We were kind of waiting for you and, and all the cool stuff that you did um and oh, we started i guess i could say a little bit um okay um i should back up i don't remember how much of this i talked about in the crew logs because i did most of those at like one o'clock in the morning after traveling all day so if i'm reduplicating myself here i apologize but if you're ever in if you ever find yourself with extra time in the billings montana airport you should leave the airport go across the street to the yellowstone county museum Kind of an interesting little quirky place with free admission and um, nice way to spend a little bit of time. And I think there was something else I wanted to say, but now I can't remember. What was the most, I mean, of the 11 states that you went to, and I, I mm -hmm. know that we have people probably listening from most, if not all, uh, which, which one was your favorite? Uh-oh, this, this is... Ooh. The this, dangerous this territory. Yeah, exactly. Territory. Well, it's a little of an unfair question because yeah. I didn't spend equal time in all of those places. But, True. Um, I, you know, certainly the highlight was spending a little bit of time in Maine with, with Micah and Portland was absolutely gorgeous. We saw a couple different lighthouses. Um, the town is really cute. Friendly people. Um, good food. Good beer. Can't beat any of that. So can't go wrong. True. All right. Well. Are you ready to move on then to, we had started the news folder, believe yeah, it or not. Yeah, I've, I've been listening to most of it, so okay. I'm, I'm caught up. I All think. right. 
Um, I think we were just about, we just finished talking about the 757 that uh, had the hard landing in the Azores. And, you know, we're trying to decide whether we thought it was going to be able to fly again or if the, if it's going to be a totaled uh, airframe. The pictures don't look They don't look great. good. Yeah. yeah. Looks um, not promising. Anyway, we can move on to item E. Plane erupts in flames after a failed takeoff at Oroville Airport. And that's in, uh, I believe, Northern California. Yeah. Uh, Cessna, Cessna uh, 560XL Citation XL suffered a runway excursion after an aborted takeoff at Oroville Airport in California. A fire broke out in the grass besides the aircraft after all 10 occupants had been evacuated uh, or had evacuated the aircraft. The fire spread and engulfed the aircraft. It was being operated by Delta private jets. And, um, you know, one of the news articles here kind of makes it sound like the, the reason why they stopped the, air, the, the takeoff was because it was on fire. But I think that the fire uh, came about as a result of the abort, aborted takeoff and subsequent uh, runway excursion. And it uh, looked very, very dry up there. Um, the uh, pictures that I saw. So, you know, if you have some hot breaks, uh, I can imagine it would be very easy to start the grass fire and eventually, you know, engulf the airplane in fire as well. But we're not sure exactly yet. They're still doing the investigation. But the good news is that all of the passengers made it off the airplane, including uh, the the pilots uh, as well. So no... No fatalities on this. Well, that's the important bit, isn't it, really? Yeah. Uh, I mean, losing the aircraft is a real shame. Um, I must admit, when I saw the video, uh, I was thinking to myself, all those safety personnel, they're there, and uh, everything around them, all the grass is uh, on fire, does not actually look very a safe area to be, you know? So uh, I'm assuming they all managed to get away from the area uh, without any injuries, uh, so I guess well handled, um, but uh, not nice to have a, a runway excursion and then have a big fire spread, and not just around the aircraft, but of course around the surrounding area of the airfield. Yeah. So again, um, no idea yet uh, why the pilots made the decision to abort the takeoff, but uh, uh, I think the the airplane was pretty much uh, destroyed. Um, and oh, ho- yes. hopefully we'll learn so, something yeah. from this after the investigation. By the way, um, just an update on the other uh, citation incident it was a landing incident, uh, the one involving um, the uh, race Dale car. Dale Earnhardt Jr. Yeah, Dale Jr. Um, up in um, Elizabethton, uh, Tennessee. Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess there's some surveillance video that shows that the airplane came down uh, and touched down right around the landing threshold area, bounced once, bounced twice, and then on the third bounce, it uh, the right main gear collapsed, the right wing tip hit the runway. I think it was only about a thousand feet from the end of the runway at that point. Ended up excursion, you know, doing an excursion uh, down an embankment, up an embankment, through uh, some chain link fence, and a lot more. So uh, it was it must have been quite a ride, and luckily mm. everybody uh, got out of that alive but uh still no no indication of why 
uh, it, they suffered the, the, the bad bounce. It's amazing to. how often those uh, bounce landings are mishandled. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people try to uh, salvage uh, a situation when the aircraft is now, you know, well back up in the air again at a much lower speed than it was when it made their first arrival. Uh, and uh, very few pilots are willing at that point to go, while I need pilots, go around from here because uh, that's the only way we're going to salvage the situation. It's surprising how many. Uh, persist in trying to make a bad situation good by uh, trying to make a second landing. And quite honestly, you're a lot safer getting the power on and getting the airplane uh, flying again. I think there was something in the narrative about the the pilots tried to go around after the second bounce. Yeah, after the second bounce. So not after the first one, but after the second one, they tried to, but were unable to do so successfully. That's a shame. Yeah, they made the attempt on the first, you know, after the first bounce, perhaps they would have been more successful. At least the power would have cush- helped cushion the second bounce, so mm-hmm. uh, they right. you know, might have got less damage. All right. And then uh, finally, item F in our news folder. Uh, this, again, from the Aviation Herald and uh, Simon uh, Radecki. Uh, this was something that occurred on the 16th of August in Masai Mari, Mara, Masai Mara. Uh, somewhere in Africa. I think it's the Maasai Mara is the okay. way it's generally pronounced. Masa, uh, how, how again? Maasai Mara. Okay, Maasai Mara in um, Kenya, I believe. And yep. it was a de Havilland Dash 8200, registration 5 Yankee Sierra Lima Mike, performing scheduled flight number one from Nairobi Wilson to Maasai Mara, uh, Kichwa Tembo uh, landed at uh, Kichwa Tembo airstrip in westerly direction at about 11 o'clock local time, but collided with a number of news, which are also known as wild beasts. <laughs> wildebeests, uh, right? Good news. Pardon? Wildebeests or, or wildebeests? Wildebeests, How do you pronounce sorry. that? Wildebeests. Yeah. Good yeah. news and wildebeests. Wildebeests. Gnu? Um, right. Or a gnu. Okay, gnu. Um, Scottish. Gnu? I would have said gnu. I, I say new, no, but is it GNU? Well, well, I don't know. You know, I think we have some um, audio from, from, the, uh, from the area. Uh, let me see. Uh, somebody was, uh, had a, um, a field recorder uh, shortly after this um, accident. I'm a GNU. I'm a GNU. The nicest work of nature in the zoo. So apparently it's GNU. That's that's from one of the GNUs um, on the scene that actually wasn't killed. <laughs> <laughs> a lucky one. And then he felt like bursting into song about it. Yeah. Well, well you know, I didn't really say what happened here, did I, yet? Um, yeah, well, we talked about the GNU strike on the landing or new strike. Um, caused the left main gear to collapse and separate from the aircraft. The left propeller impacted the ground, ejecting one blade. The aircraft veered off the runway. There were no injuries. Mm, I beg to differ. Uh, the aircraft sustained substantial damage. <laughs> no, they're just sleeping. They're, those canoes are just sleeping. <laughs> I, I was, it's just a hot so afternoon. You know? sad that they included the pictures of the, aw. I know. I guess I didn't or, need to include that, did I? I could have not had a picture of the canoes. <laughs> well, anyway. Yeah, I, but it's nice to see the tire tracks didn't uh, you know, upset them too much. Right. 
Yeah. Anyway, no human injuries or fatalities. Unfortunately, uh, there was a loss of two of these wildebeests. Um, as I, I said in my, the title of this news item, I knew it. A bit, bit of damage to the plane too. <laughs> I it can knew it. Yes, I can do it. I knew it. Ah, all right. So is that the show title this week? Could be. I I can know it. You want it to be? I uh, like it, it. Yeah, I can. I think it I has can, to be. I can work with a canoe. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> Don't yeah. use the poor deceased ones, please. Yeah. Let's have live canoes <laughs> there. Okay. Yes. With that, I guess now it's time for us to move on to your feedback. <laughs> message all right item one from brett fry remember we met brett fry at oshkosh he's a producer Mm -hmm. of the apg and uh let's see he says hey there it was great to be able to meet you all at oshkosh this year it's fun to see the reactions of the first time visitors uh like you were this year oh okay so it was interesting for him to see the reactions from those of us who had never experienced Oshkosh before. So um, he says, when I was working slash volunteering in the South 40 parking airplanes, we had a great view of all the aircraft arriving on runway three, six, including when the C five arrived, I had only heard brief comments the next morning about this fire that they had on the C fives breaks after landing. Uh, There is a video in this link that shows the event. As we all know, there are many incidents and events that occur each year at Oshkosh, and it seems that nothing is out of view of some recording device. And then he gave us a link to an AvWeb article, which uh, has the uh, recording in it, and uh, we'll put that in the show notes for you all to see. And uh, basically, um, it's taken from the vantage point of the nose um, area of the airplane uh, pointed back, and it looks like the one of the right main um, wheel assemblies on the C5 got a little bit warm and was on fire and a fire truck arrived and sprayed it and put it out. And so apparently, uh, they say that it, it, it wasn't too extensive because, uh, the uh, C5 continued to go on static display there at the show. So apparently they weren't too concerned. It must not, not have done a lot of damage. No, but we were, um, there were a few of us who were waiting for the, um, the short takeoff landing show to begin that evening and they had to and they ended up canceling that portion of the show because the fire rescue folks were tied up uh with this incident oh this this is what was happening then when they canceled that on Mm -hmm. whatever night that was thursday night thursday night yeah Yeah. which was a shame because we've made our uh, it was a long walk yeah it was i I (laughs) was disappointed yeah Okay. I did get to see it the next night. I went back on Friday night and saw the short time. I couldn't do that walk twice. It was way (laughs) too far for an old man. It was, what, a mile? It was too much. There was was a lot of drinking to be done. Yes, exactly. That's really the problem. It was was miles and miles and miles. Extracurricular activities. (laughs) It was a mile from the bus stop. Yeah, I'll give you that. Uh Uh-huh. I have have GPS data from my watch. Well, let's not argue, kids. Yeah. That no, but anyway, up, I uh, you know, it was just watch. kind of interesting because we were sitting around for a while and we didn't really know why they were delaying the start of the short takeoff landing uh, uh, competition. 
So then we, we watched a bunch of guys uh, with flying lawnmowers. Yes, instead, basically. We? I actually thought that yeah. was kind of fun. That was amazing, <laughs> <Yeah>. actually. <laughs> with like, yeah. wow. Little powered parachute uh, backpack thingies. Yeah. That was neat. Mm. And then after that, they had the, um, the RC models mm -hmm, uh, out mm -hmm. there doing crazy things. Yep. Mad skills. Very good. All very professional there. Yes. Well, thank you, Brett. It was nice uh, meeting you uh, up at Oshkosh. Hope to see you again sometime in the future. And thanks for being a producer of the show. Um, item number two from Ham Radio Jim. He's also a producer. Uh, he says, I thought you'd all find this interesting, especially Captain Nick. This has been, so far, my only life experience with GA aircraft. I had a ride in a Piper Cub when I was 10 years old out of Matatuck Airport, 21 North. I don't know where that is. November. Uh, well, is that's a circle around the globe, 21 oh, North. 21 so. November. Oh, okay. I don't know. What does that mean? It's a GA airport. Uh, oh. uh, it's, about, it's on Long Island, East Hampton. Oh, okay. Or, wait, gotcha. No. That's the name Hold of the on. airport. So it'd be yeah. like Kilo 21 November. It's Matatuck, New York, Long Island. Okay, Long, I Long Island. Long Island. That's where they drink a lot of tea, isn't it, on Long Island? <laughs> You don't want to drink too much Long Island tea. <laughs> Long Island iced tea. Oh, that's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, the, the iced tea. That'll get to you pretty quickly. Um, anyway, um, he says, 73, Jim, uh, Whiskey 2, November, Sierra Foxtrot. And I'm not a ham radio guy, so I can't come back at you, Jim, with my call sign. Uh, well, 73s uh, mm -hmm. means, uh, um, you know, uh, goodbye and good wishes. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's his call, yeah. Right. Whiskey What's yours? Two. Uh, Mike one Charlie Quebec uniform M one CQU. Okay, seventy threes, and he sent a link to a show, uh, something like the History Guy or something like that. Uh, a, a gentleman who does YouTube videos on various things in history, and this one happens to be on the venerable Piper Cub. And so we'll put that link in the show notes for you all to watch it, if you so desire. Yeah, took a look at that. Very professional, very impressed. Uh, nice bloke. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, he got a great speaking voice and uh, puts out a good show. But uh, he's, I think he's got a, a fairly professional team that helps him. Well, I may mm -hmm. be wrong, because it does seem very well produced. And he wears a bow tie. Yeah, that's a worry, isn't it? <laughs> that's very professional. Hmm. You Is think I could put a bow tie on? It wouldn't might perhaps go with my T-shirt, but I think a lot of doctors wear bow ties, don't they? Neurologists. Lots of neurologists wear oh, bow ties. Oh, is that right? Is that the nerve like of those people? They don't like their tie dipping into the brain. Well, matter. I mean, it is makes... that what it is? <laughs> well, that's the neurosurgeons, I think. They're a little different, but... Uh, okay. I, I don't know. It seems to be, be fashionable amongst them. No, I, I think uh, neurologists, they deal with people who are a bit... Uh, Oh, I, I shouldn't go there, actually. <laughs> I'll start right there. I, okay. I, we'll, we'll do a tutorial after the show about what neurologists do and who they take care okay. of. Okay. Yeah. Uh, are there people that would grab hold of their ties and try and strangle them? <laughs> no. Okay. So I can't see why they would wear bow ties then. Nick I'm going to get, I'm gonna get some com. angry feedback from Nick neurologists. Okay. I'm just making an observation. Just I know mm -hmm. a number of neurologists. They all seem to favor the bow tie. Yeah. Okay. Very uh, spiffy looking. 
Yeah. All right. Um, moving on to item number three, Arun. Hey, Captain Jeff, you've inspired me to start my own aviation YouTube channel, and it's called Mini Air Crash Investigation, where I analyze an air crash or incident on each episode. Since you flew the L-1011, I'm sure you'd love this story about an L-1011 crew that landed a crippled L-1011. Let me know what you think. So he did send us a link to his YouTube channel, Mini Air Crash Investigation, and he has several videos already, and he only started a few months back. And let me play a little snippet of this one that he thinks I might be interested in. Hey, this is the story of Delta Airlines Flight 1080. This is a story of bravery, skill, determination, and outstanding airmanship. Flight 1080 begins on the ground at San Diego International Airport on the 12th of April, 1977. Today, they were flying... Anyway, that's a little snippet for you. And uh, if you want to... This is a very good story, by the way. And yes, we knew all about it. Uh, those of us who flew the L-1011, uh, this is one of those things that they tell us about while we're in training. Now, back in 1977, April, I was getting very, that was like my, the last month of my high school. I graduated in May of 1977. So obviously I didn't hear about this, um, or I don't recall hearing anything about this uh, when I was in high school. But um uh, several years back, but uh, it is a, a great story, and thank you for telling it, Arun, and uh, check out all the other great videos he has on his YouTube channel, Mini Air Crash Investigation. Let's move on. Item four from Craig, who is also a producer, Coffee Fund Cadre member. Um, Hi, crew. Any thoughts on how an airliner roughed up by a severe hailstorm could be re- in the field, or was it possibly just a matter of inspection and sign-off until it could be returned to a hub? Clear skies and tailwinds, Montana Craig. This is Craig Messerman from Missoula, and he gives us a link to this article, uh, Storm Damages Commercial Planes at Billings Airport, and this is from the Billings oh, hey, Gazette. I was just there. Oh, that's right. That's Did you see this uh, airplane, damaged airplane there while you were there? No. Okay. It was a lovely, nice day, not a cloud in the sky. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, that, that airplane, uh, there, that airport I've been into and out of many, many times, it up, sits up on kind of a top of a plateau. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little really bluff area. Yeah, yeah, or a bluff, I guess. Uh, Frontier and Alaska Airlines both had planes damaged by the hailstorm that battered much of the region on Sunday evening. Both planes were supposed to, did you see I highlighted that? That's a, yes. a journalist there. That misspelled. It's a small town. It's both planes were supposed with a D to depart Sunday night. Instead, they were roughed up enough by the hail and wind that crews were required to keep them grounded overnight while they repaired the damage, said Kevin Plone, Billings Airport Administrator. The Alaska Airlines plane was repaired early enough on Monday that it was able to depart by the afternoon. Crews were hoping to repair the Frontier aircraft in time to get it back in the air by Monday night. The storm moved through the area at about 7 p.m. on Sunday and left a wide swath of damage. Fallen trees and branches knocked out power to about 1,500 residents, and emergency crews responded to a car wreck in the heights and reports of people trapped in an elevator. Anyway, it goes on and tells a little bit more about the damage that this uh, storm caused. But the thing that we're concerned about here, or what Craig is concerned about, and pilots should be concerned about this as well, um, the hail damage, what do you do when your jet is damaged by hail? And is it really possible to repair it? 
And I would say yes. Um, they go out and do a full inspection and any areas that have been uh, significantly damaged. Now, you know, you, you might see some some little dents here and there that may not be something that a mechanic would consider significant as far as affecting airworthiness. But uh, there are, and I don't know what the what the parameters are as far as you know how big of a indentation is required or where. Like if it's on this part of the wing, it's okay. If it's on the leading edge of the wing, probably not. Um, I don't know all the details about that. Maybe um, a air maintenance technician listening to the show might have more detail about that, or maybe one of the uh, fellow hosts here might know something about uh, that sort of thing. But uh, yes, uh, they're not just paying lip service to repairing these things. Uh, They really do uh, require a a full inspection, and if uh, repair is necessary, they have to do it, I believe, unless they get some kind of a special permit, like a ferry permit or something, to fly the airplane back to a maintenance base. But yeah, that's I'm pretty I mean. sure they will have very specific uh, size diameter of the indentation and depth position uh, uh, in their uh, requirements, uh, and they will measure those very carefully. They'll mark them, uh, locate them on uh, the configuration deviation list uh, so that they can be inspected on further flights uh, and each one uh, will be individually uh, yeah, measured and checked. And what they often do is they get seven little guys with hammers who come out uh, and they fix the airplane and they're singing, hi-ho, <laughs> hi-ho. And they're always very happy to go to work and they get on the inside there and they tap out all the little dents and, and they're fixed. and. Off you go. I wow. had no idea that it was the uh, right? so endorse fixing oh, hail okay. damage. How uh, long were you waiting for that? <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> well, Snow White is the licensed engineer, so she knows all about that stuff. Uh, we ought to ask uh, her. Yeah. Seven guys in hammers. And I feel what? like we need yeah. to, there's going to be a rewrite of that children's story now. <laughs> that is very um, specific. The, the mind dried out. What are they going to do? <laughs> the, uh, yeah. Um, no, it just got me thinking, though. I wonder how often stuff like this really happens, especially some of these airports, either like Billings or even Denver. Um, storms with significant hail happen quite often in that part of the country. And that's a pretty busy airport with lots of aircraft. And um, yeah, it's a good question, Craig, about how long it takes to uh, fix that kind of damage and get those aircraft turned back around so they can continue to operate flights. Apparently, well, if it was my car, I'd want to get, get it fixed by my dealer pretty quickly but of course an airplane's made of much tougher stuff it's mm-hmm. it's aluminium instead of steel so yeah and the aerodynamics on your car are not quite as important as the aerodynamics on an airplane That's unless you drive true. like nick yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <true. laughs> he needs all the downforce he can get on his exactly. car. exactly oh yeah um what was I going to say oh this reminds me of an incident that occurred several years back at acme airlines where um, the FAA was trying to pull a captain's certificate uh, because he was out at a place, I don't know, uh, let's say Oklahoma City. I'm not sure if that was it or not, but somewhere in the Midwest, uh, they had a, a significant storm run through the night before. Uh, there was some hail and he did a pre-flight inspection of the airplane and was satisfied that there wasn't any hail damage. However, he didn't look at the top of the tail, you know, the airplane that we fly. It was a, uh, I think it was a 727 in this case, Mm. a T-tail, which would require a cherry picker or some kind of a 
vehicle that has like a crane kind of thing that gets you high enough up so you can actually inspect the top surfaces of a T-tailed airplane. And um, he didn't, wasn't able to do that or didn't arrange for it or whatever. And when he got back to Atlanta, um, apparently the FAA got involved and basically said that he flew or potentially flew an unairworthy or potentially unairworthy airplane. Um, and everybody was just like, what? <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, how was he supposed to know? You know, so. Uh, yeah. And how are you supposed to, uh, I mean, here's a hypothetical question, but say you're at a small airport that doesn't have equipment like that. You have right. no way to assess it. You've looked at everything else and it looks okay. Well, you go, well, no, I'm not going to do it until the company or the airport or someone gets the appropriate equipment out here. That seems reasonable to me to, if you, if you're inspecting everything else that you can actually see and, and you everything don't see else any looks damage, okay. yeah. then you, I think it would be reasonable to assume that, uh, that surface would not be damaged as well. Um, but, and that's what we were all thinking at the time thinking, well, okay, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, apparently, uh, the union lawyers got involved and the company actually, uh, defended the, the captain in this case. And, mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, it's one of those things that really, you know, makes me think every time I go out to an airplane and I know or I hear that there was some kind of a big storm the night before. And um, uh, the thing that's also I'm very the thing that I'm also very sensitive about is um, the damage to the control tabs on the elevators of the of the Mad Dog, because we've talked about in the last couple of years, a couple of incidents involving um, the control tabs and damages to the control rods that control the control tabs on the elevator and how, you know, there are in a couple different cases where either the airplane wasn't rotating for takeoff. And in another case, the airplane was rotating before the crew uh, called for it. Um, and both involved damaged uh, control tabs uh, for the uh, elevator system. So when somebody tells me that there, there was a lot of wind the night before, or I know that there has been a lot of wind the night before, uh, for instance, just a few months back, uh, I think my first officer probably thought it was crazy, but um, we were in Wichita and it was a very, very high wind kind of a event, uh, storms that went through and thinking that in the, you know, in the back of my mind, I was thinking of these incidents where there was some damage that one in uh, Willow Grove, uh, Michigan, um, near Ann Arbor with the uh, Michigan uh, basketball team and, and, and pep band and other uh, people affiliated with it. We're heading from uh, Ann Arbor or um, Willow Grove Airport to, uh, I think it was Washington, D.C., where they were doing like the, what do they call that? The the Final Four kind of thing, whatever, March Madness kind of thing. Oh, Willow, yeah. oh, Willow Run. Okay, thank you, Liz. Um, and uh, the, um, the airplane had been there for a few days, and there were some really super high winds up in that area um, during that time. And apparently, uh, the wind and the 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 way the airplane was parked up against between two buildings or something like that, and the wind flow around the buildings just kind of enhanced the uh, the the amount of uh, velocity of the wind, uh, and it did some. The thing was, you know, as we know, um, or most people know uh, from listening to the show, the uh, Mad Dog, not the MD ninety, but the Mad the MD eighty through eighty eight. Um, is has an unpowered elevator, and so it just kind of flops around, and in the wind, in the wind, and it can like the left one might be up and the right one might be down, and it's kind of crazy. 
Anyway, there's nothing keeping it from moving. And apparently this had been exposed to uh, quite a lot of wind and was banging up and down. And apparently, um, I forget which side, it was the right or left, uh, but one of the control arms for that um, control tab, which is what actually controls the movement of the elevator, had been damaged. And they were rolling down the runway and they pulled the yoke back for rotation and nothing happened. And that was one of those situations where uh, the airplane was not going to fly. And they were well past V1 when they realized that there's no way the airplane was going to fly. So they had to abort the takeoff and, you know, miraculously uh, nobody was killed in it. I'm I'm not even sure anybody was seriously injured, uh, but it could have been a huge tragedy. Uh, had that airplane actually gotten off the ground or if they made the decision to stop even later. But, um, so such a difficult decision, uh, that, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. we talk about pilots, uh, having to make the, uh, decision of V1 losing an engine, but have to make a, a decision after V1, uh, just, uh, you know, uh, requires real courage. Yeah. And in, in this case it was like, there's nothing else I could do really. Right. But you think about, uh, I'm just thinking like the startle factor there where you expect, mm-hmm. uh, you have no reason otherwise to suspect that airplane is not going to fly. Right. Except that it doesn't respond to the control inputs you're giving it. So we do control and checks and all that kind of stuff. And there's nothing that we right, have there's that nothing shows because there's like a little tab. There's the only thing that's moving uh, connected to our controls. And there's no kind of electronic display that shows the movement of these tabs. And there's nobody outside looking to see if the tab is actually moving in response to the control input. So what I did, because I knew that the night before there was a lot of wind and these stories are still in the back of my head, thinking that that's what's going to kill me is that stupid control tab on the elevator of this mad dog. And so when I did the walk around, I uh, ended up calling on on the cell phone of the first officer. And and I said, I know this is crazy, but I I explained to him what I was going to do before I left the cockpit. And so he pulled the yoke back and then I could see the tab was moving in the proper direction and they pushed it forward and it was, you know, both of the tabs were moving in the proper direction. And that was, you know, that satisfied my um, concern regarding whether or not that there had been any damage to the control tab of the uh, elevator in this case. But um, I mean, I think that's a really wise thing to do, though. Why wouldn't you if you have the ability to do that and check it before you go? Right. If there was any concern at all. Yeah. So. You know, I know I probably looked foolish in doing it, but uh, you know, I, I'm I'm still. I'd glad rather that look I did. foolish than yeah. to think about doing something and not do it, and then have that be the problem. That's right. a lot more foolish. And it's like not, nothing in our books say anything about doing that sort of an inspection. But that's again, why you have to use your pilot brain, right? And instincts. You know, right? we do these shows, and we we see an awful lot of accident incident reports, and uh, you know, you can't help but you know start thinking about these kind of things. Anyway. Just thought I'd throw that out. Um, so, do we thoroughly answer Craig's question regarding the? Um, um, I think so. It's a nice, uh, nice little tornado going on in that picture from yeah, the uh, terminal of Billings. Is that actually from the the storm? Yeah, uh, wow. from. Uh, or is that from another storm? Of a severe storm. Yeah, not sure which one. Wow. Yeah, that that's pretty severe, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Speaking of severe storms, hopefully mm-hmm. my power stays on. Um, there's a, a p- impressive amount of lightning on the radar heading Uh-oh. my way. Okay. Hopefully you'll, see. you'll keep your uh, electricity. Yeah. Um, oops. But if I disappear all of a sudden, that's probably what happened. Okay. 
Well, hang in there, Steph. I mean, I'll be here. Okay. Yeah, we just we won't be able to see you. Yeah, just it'll yeah. just be. Yeah. It sounds like you'll be finishing the show all on your own. <laughs> no, no. I, I have great faith that the power will stay on. Yeah. Okay. Um I'm getting um internal communications that says that um that uh, Nick wants us to do the plain tale right now or well, it's coming up to 11 o'clock at night here, okay. and I have a very early and busy oh. day tomorrow, so it'd be I think that'd nice be a great idea. Knock it on the head, and I'll, then I'll say, when we finished it, I'll say my goodbyes. Okay, very good. I had not even thought about that. Thank you very much. Um, how, how uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not rude, but... Um, insensitive. Insensitive of me not to think about the fact Gosh. that you're up really, really late. Jeez. Yeah, I know. Nope. No, no problem at all. Normally, I, I don't have a house, so I can stay up to yeah. one or two in the morning, but perhaps not tomorrow. It's no, no, no. Important okay. day. Very good. Very good. So here you go. We're going to play this week's episode or installment of the plain, Old Pilot's Plain Tales. Here we go. The Old Pilot's Plain Tales. All weather, Heather. It's 20 years in the past, and Lockie Chockio is a dusty, fly-blown Kenyan frontier town that is a long way from the tourist images of African safari lodges. The emaciated cattle of the Takana wander the dirt streets, and the place stinks of foul garbage and excrement. The flies are thick, and it's as dangerous here as it is dirty. Drought has decimated the cattle herds, so the desperate Takana have mainly become bandits, robbing anyone careless enough to risk travelling at night. Only a few days before, a driver was shot dead and his passengers robbed. They are also at war with the neighbouring tribe, Toposa, and nightly gun battles can be heard in the distance. There's an airstrip here with a few buildings, offices and compounds, one with a pool and a bar. At six o'clock sharp, an attractive blonde can be found there, sipping a G&T while the ice tinkles in her glass. At first glance, she looks out of place, but her easy manner and familiarity marks her as a local. She's well-spoken with the classic British accent of the well-to-do. Her manner is direct, and her style betrays a good upbringing. She's a product of the British Empire, self-sufficient and capable. Born in England, but brought up in Nigeria, her father was a mine manager. At 18, she married an army officer and had two children by him, but at 21, she left him and married an older chap who owned his own aircraft. She was keen to learn to fly it, but her new husband said that she would be an awful pilot. She was terrible at maths. Eventually, she persuaded him to let her try, and despite having two more children, by the age of 25, she had indeed gained her pilot's license. Falling in love with her instructor along the way and having another child by him. A girlfriend described her as stunningly beautiful, with natural grace, a very open and honest character who wouldn't try and hide anything, even her lovers. She took her commercial exams and flight test in England 
flying out of Gatwick Airport and landing sandwiched between Boeing 707s. She needed money to keep her children in boarding school, so she started bush flying, something she loved, initially for flying doctors and the police air wing, building up experience and learning to find the half-hidden airstrips that were her destinations. Her flying career started in earnest with Air Kenya flying freight. This was followed by a job for Kenya Air Charters taking wealthy white hunters out into the Sudan bush in a Beechcraft Baron 55. Good years, she says, staying in hunting camps for a week or more and floating down the Nile on river barges searching for lion, antelope and elephant landing on poorly prepared strips that were difficult to find, particularly just using a simple map, she learned her trade flying the bush the hard way. A careful pilot, meticulous about looking after her aircraft, she knew that flying in some of the most remote parts of Africa killed many slapdash aviators who took risks. There was enough excitement to be found without the additional thrill of risking an engine failure through poor maintenance. She continued to progress, gaining her instrument rating in 1970 and qualifying on the Islander, Comanche, Aztec, Seneca and Cessna 402 to name a few. Despite her measured approach to flying, she gained a solid reputation for being able to work in the worst of conditions and earned a nickname that would stick with her for life, All Weather Heather. Heather Stewart's meticulous attitude didn't always prevent the unexpected. She experienced the usual problems that Africa would throw her way, Flat tyres, flat batteries, broken radios and villagers who siphoned off the aviation fuel left at airstrips. These were the kind of problems that all bush pilots suffered from, but Heather soon gained a reputation for toughness, reliability and safety that got her work flying the rich and famous, film stars and the like. She even met the Pope. If you want to get a feel for what kind of girl she was, try reading about the pioneer aviator Beryl Markham, who captivated Hemingway and wrote the book West with the Night. She was even involved with Joy and George Adamson, who gained fame for their efforts to introduce lions back into the wild, documented in the famous book, film and foundation, Born Free. Heather is mentioned in the follow-up book, Christian the Lion. Flying into Cora, the book reads, is always exhilarating. The camp is located in a very remote area of Kenya, and for the last hour of the flight there are none of the cultivated patches or gleaming tin roofs that usually betray human habitation. Terence had planned to extend the landing strip after some pilots had expressed their concerns about its length, but this didn't worry our pilot, Heather Stewart, who was an excellent pilot. It wasn't long before we had touched down safely. She did a stint flying the Lawrence of Arabia film director, David Lean, around and took to delivering Cat into Somalia, the mild narcotic is legal there, and since alcohol isn't available to the Muslim population, it's their drug of choice. 
I never had enough fuel for a round trip, she said, and I had to get out onto the wing with jerry cans to refuel. Well, a gun battle between warlords broke out, and there were bullets whizzing around. I finished up and got into the cockpit, but my plane had six bullet holes in it, and one passed right through close to the back of my head. Missed me by that much, she said, spreading her thumb and forefinger. That made me think. So when someone said, go fly in the Sudan, they really need people there. I went. With her short blonde hair, good looks and brilliant smile, Heather could easily have been mistaken for the hostess of an English garden party, but she was never afraid of getting her hands dirty. The UN needed a base for their operations into the Sudan, Operation Lifeline. More than two million had died there, if not by bullets and bombs, then from the famine and disease brought about by war, drought and flood. The United Nations classified the region as a state in chronic emergency and was trying to fly in supplies. Heather saw an opportunity to help, and with another pilot, an American called Jim Gaunt, she set about building an airstrip at Lockichocky, and she started a charter company called Trackmark Aviation. Thus began a turning point in Heather's life, from the glamour and flying of the rich and famous to the down-to-earth work of transporting aid into desperate regions of Africa. Sudan is the biggest country on the continent, but for years it had suffered from intractable civil wars. The pilots who operated there worked in conditions that would give the average airline pilot palpitations and panic attacks. No control towers, weather forecast, navigation beacons, radar or the like. These aviators didn't have adventures, they lived them on a daily basis. On one trip, Heather was flying three C-130 Hercules pilots to look at possible airstrips to operate their aircraft from. They got to a town called Acabo that hadn't had an aircraft land there for years. An overflight showed the strip as dry and clear, but underneath the crust of dry earth lay a soft black and soggy foundation. Heather tells of putting the Cessna 402 down, but it sank through the crust and got completely stuck. They couldn't take off and nobody could land there to rescue them. They ate a few biscuits, all they had, and purified river water, whilst Heather radioed for a food and water drop, but it was three days before anyone could get to them. The airfield had been the scene of a recent battle. The Sudan People's Liberation Army rebels had driven off the government forces. There were thousands of mosquitoes, the heat was terrible, and there was always the fear that the army would come back and attack. There were many dead bodies lying about, she said, and you could imagine what it was like. One of the passengers was a survival expert, but then he got bitten by a scorpion and was in a great deal of pain. The plane with the food and water dropped morphine as well, and we shot him up with so much of it that he got stoned. Finally, one of the Catholic missions was able to get a helicopter to them. Heather stripped the radio from the Cessna and they got out. It was quite good, she said, to change my clothes and have a bath. 
Track marks had a small beginning. Just me and my aeroplane, she said. But the Islamic government in Khartoum who seized power declared the war in the south to be a jihad. In the following years, it would deny aid to southern Sudan and drop cluster bombs on churches, missions and defenseless villages, massacring thousands and driving thousands more from their homes into concentration camps or the bush. It even revived the ancient practice of raiding towns on horseback, killing the elderly and men of fighting age, then rounding up the young women and children to sell them into slavery. The work of the UN began to grow and dozens of non-governmental organizations were bringing in tons of aid that needed to be flown into the Sudan. The amount they shifted exceeded the total flown during the Berlin airlift. Heather began taking on other pilots and at one time her company employed 22. She invested in Lokichoki by building a safe enclave with a bar and even a pool. As a side note, it's still there should you ever want to explore the real side of Africa and they'll rent you a room. The flying was still dangerous. The government insisted on advance warning of aid flights and it sometimes dispatched militia units to seize them. The SPLA rebels controlled vast areas of the south so the government frequently denied permission to fly in an attempt to starve the rebels into submission. In response to the dire need for aid, the bush pilots delivered their cargoes to the no-fly zones in defiance of Khartoum's threats that their planes would be shot out of the sky. They called it flying on the dark side and filed false plans or no plans at all. The risks were high. Heather did a lot of flying for the Catholic missionaries in Sudan's western province. Taking off before dawn, she would land in the early light and then throw camouflage netting over her aircraft to keep it hidden until it was safe to depart at night. These airstrips had no lighting, so she would line up for takeoff and aim at a single torch held up by someone standing at the other end of the strip. A friend recalled another harrowing flight. We were on her caravan aircraft ready to leave and find a group of slaves we were attempting to reach in another region when a number of men came up to the plane carrying a youth who had been shot a number of times during a raid. He was barely conscious and had lost copious amounts of blood and with no medical assistance available only had a few hours to live. I'll fly him to Lockie as it was affectionately named, and the Red Cross Hospital there, Heather said. At the time, Lockie had the largest field hospital in the world there. But I need someone to come with me while I fly the plane. Jane and I volunteered for the task, and in the end it was decided that the young man's mother should come with us. Words will never describe what we endured on that flight. Blood continued to run down the floor of the aircraft as we sought to administer morphine and check its vital signs. We felt so helpless. At one point he opened his eyes and his mother wept at the sight. He had a huge wound under his arm and the blood was escaping rapidly. There's duct tape, 
in the rear compartment, Heather yelled from the front, and we wrapped the wound in it, watching as the bleeding somehow stopped. Five hours later, we arrived in Lockie, where the boy and his mother were whisked off to the hospital from the airstrip. A year later, we happened upon him, and he had recovered, though with the loss of the use of his arm. Heather invited us to the hospitality camp she ran there, just off the single airstrip, treating us to a sumptuous dinner and her best room. Even there, exhausted from the flight, she constantly looked out for others. Heather Stewart spent years flying people like us into some of the riskiest situations and on many of those occasions chose to park her plane with us for the night in case something serious were to occur. She slept on the ground with us, endured the heat, the food, the massive scope of human suffering and the shared grief at the senseless death of hundreds of thousands. She helped us fight slavery assisted others flying in emergency supplies and workers and constantly used her locky camp to assuage the pains, heal the wounds and recover the spirits. Heather tried to stay neutral in her opinions about the conflict to avoid getting caught up in the causes, but she admits to flying medevacs for wounded guerrillas when called upon. I always carry a jar of Vicks, it's a smelly chest rub, with me, she said, and I put a little in each nostril. The stench of gangrene can be overwhelming in a small plane. It's dangerous flying, it's quite a buzz really. I'd much rather do that than fly a bunch of fat tourists to look at lions. The one thing she wouldn't do though was deliver weapons. Possibly as a result of her decision, as the work dried up so did the money and her company shrank back down, but Heather kept flying. To honour her efforts, the missionaries brought her to Rome for a private audience with Pope John Paul. This Protestant woman of dubious morals and multiple marriages knelt and kissed the pontiff's ring. To cover her bases, she laughingly admitted, she later flew the Archbishop of Canterbury on a tour of South Sudan. Heather died peacefully of leukemia in her home in Kenya nearly a year ago, aged 78. She left many full of admiration for her, and the world is a sadder place without her in it. Another great plain tale. Thank you, Captain Nick. Well, thank you to uh, Josine Lafontaine for the great suggestion because I had never heard of uh, All Weather Heather. And, uh, you know, I, as I dug uh, into her story, and it wasn't the easiest story uh, to research this one, I ended up having to buy a book uh, because there was uh, a single chapter in there which. Um, had uh, an account uh, of her, and I thought, well, that's it's worth spending the money just to get that little piece uh, that will give me more detail of her life. But she sounds like an un unlikely character to do that sort of thing, but ideally suited to it, because I suspect that with her flying skills, which were, uh, and her common sense and her drive, 
uh, and her fearless approach to life uh, in Kenya and, more importantly, uh, in uh, the Sudan, in Somalia, during that awful conflict. Uh, she did an awful lot of good. Uh, and regardless of what sex she was, she was a fantastic bush pilot uh, and much admired. So uh, when I found out about her life, I really um, you know, took an interest and uh, felt I had to tell that story because I think she was one remarkable uh, lady. An amazing pilot, as you say, regardless of gender, uh, an amazing pilot, great story. And I do have a question, though. Um, did they change the formulation of VIX? Because I don't think that VIX is a horrible smell. Well, no, it's a, I don't either. It's a yeah. strong odor. It's very strong, it? I mean, yes. Mental yeah, item very, or yes. something. Yeah, yeah it, it's a menthol kind of, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's, uh, it, it's an unpleasant smell, but it's... Uh, it's strong. I guess it, it, it's all she had to try and um, hide the stench of yeah. some of the things she had to carry I in her aircraft. Cannot imagine I, this. What gangrene must smell like? Must be horrible. It's not. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You, I guess. Have mm. you had the opportunity? Uh, mm, the pleasure. Yes. Oh. The, okay. the displeasure. That from medical school, you kind of mm. get exposed yeah. to that sort of thing. Yeah. <sighs> Is it a, a smell you ever forget? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's several um, infamous smells uh, in the medical field that once you've smelled, you will not forget ever. Mm. Right. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Pleasant. Yes. Well, sorry, sorry to end it on that note. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for reminding me of all of that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I just, I just admired this woman. I thanks very much for Josine, who who we love anyway, because she mm -hmm. sends in great feedback. Mm -hmm. And uh, a, a great support of the show. And, and actually, for a rare occasion, she's not in the uh, chat room tonight. What? So she's not watching oh, live, which is a be, shame. Yeah. But uh, I hope she gets to uh, hear this and realize uh, uh, what a great story it was she um, you know, uh, revealed to me so that I could uh, tell it. I'm, I'm delighted to be able to do that. Exactly. I'm sure she will listen <clears throat> and she will uh, thank you in due course for sure. Yes. Thanks, Josie. Okay, well, Nick, I am going to direct you now to leave us because we've had it with you. Be gone. <laughs> Go. Uh, my pleasure to, to take a, an early uh, bath, as they say, um, when you leave the field of play uh, before your allotted time. Go for an early bath uh, because uh, I've got an important day tomorrow uh, playing my finals at the Bowls Club. So uh, I need to get some sleep, and it's uh, it's it's going to be late. fast approaching midnight by the time <clears throat> I actually get my head on the pillow. So, uh, right. yeah, I'm going to wish you guys well, and uh, you have the lovely Dr. Steph to uh, give her expert advice on the remaining feedback, and uh, I'm sure she is quite capable of filling my oh, place. More than capable. Uh, more than capable, <laughs> yeah. exactly right. Yeah. I'll do what I can. We're in good hands. Yeah, brilliant. Anyway, have a lovely show, guys. Right. Good and, luck tomorrow, uh, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Yes. Yeah. Thanks very much. Good luck Catch on, your, later. on your matches. Bye. Bye. Okay, and then there were two. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Sorry, so, everyone. <clears throat> You're stuck with us. Yeah. You know, That's I can think of worse things. Yeah, I could too. <laughs> All right. Well, let's see. Let's go back to where we left off. I think uh, number Craig's, five. Yeah, number five oh, yeah. would be the next one. You're right. Um, 
Greetings, APG crew, and the world's okayest Airbus guy. Ah, oh, too bad we didn't do that. Right <laughs> we should have read left. that just before Nick. Yeah, <laughs> Nick left. Anyway, it's your favorite millennial, Tom from Pittsburgh, reporting from the opposite side of the fire hose of Part One Twenty One training. I'm happy to say I'm officially through my first typewriting. 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 Off IOE and a full-fledged first officer on the jungle jet. Yay! Mm. If I can only find my uh, applause. Yeah, because Just imagine it right smattering. now. It's coming in. It's just Yay. awesome. Here we go. Yay. See, I told you. There we go. Congratulations on that. Uh, he says, although I am uh, sorry to say I haven't been able to catch up with the show lately as I've been busy trying to keep up with the jet, I'm starting to catch up with every layover and long sit I have. Uh, you know what? I think we can give him a break since it's kind of important for him to concentrate. I mean, now we expect you to be back and to catch up, but right. I mean, that time off, that's fine. Yeah. We'll let it go. We will allow it. We'll let it go this time. Okay. Um, let's see. I've been traveling a lot, even to Atlanta. And one of these days, I'd love to have a meetup with y'all. Also, I'd like to say congrats to Captain Nick on his retirement. Such a long, fruitful career finally comes to an end. And enjoy your retirement. I know it's a little late, but I'm playing catch up here. Again, I turn to you guys for some advice for anyone just getting off low time at their first airline. If you could go back to your low time selves at your first airline, what would you tell them? I look forward to hearing from you guys again and hopefully having a meetup. Well, sadly, I'm the only airline pilot here that can really answer that question. Tom, um, perhaps maybe you can remind me, Steph, on uh, the next show when Dana mm -hmm. and uh, Nick are back, if, sure. if, if we think about it. Um, if Liz would be kind enough to maybe leave yeah, it can, in the... Um we can keep that in the uh, in the current. I can do that. Um, okay. okay, so let's see if I could go back to my initial self uh, at the first airline. Um, this is the Acme Airlines, by the way, is my first airline and only airline. I'm one of the lucky ones, so I got um, hired out of the uh, Air Force and right on into um, a major legacy carrier, which uh, I'm very fortunate to uh, have had that experience. Um, and I think that the only thing that I could um, advise or recommend is to try to keep track of everything that's happening to you. Um, you know, I never kept a diary and didn't even keep a logbook, actually. A logbook would probably be a good first step. Um, and not necessarily to kind of record all the exact details about the exact takeoff time and like a typical logbook, but more that that block of the logbook where you put like notes, remarks, impressions, remarks. things yeah. like that. If and now maybe a logbook is not necessary. Maybe uh, like keep a some kind of a ledger or a, or a journal or whatever you call it, where you could, or even something on your computer, you know, to to keep track of to to write down, you know, something about not every single leg, of course, because you know sometimes. Uh, you'd you'd be hard pressed to think of anything that was worth writing uh, about on every single leg. But you know, on on each trip, there's always something odd or unusual that happens, or maybe something that at the time doesn't really seem important or significant in your life. But um, 
10, 20, 30 years from now, it might be kind of fun to read something that you wrote that long ago and bring up, you know, some memories from, um, from that time. So, um, just something to consider, I'd say just, uh, because you, when you're at your age right now and you're starting off, um, you don't realize the significance of a lot of the things that are happening to you right now. And, uh, you will uh, understand it once you're older. That's the only advice that I think that I can give. Yeah. Um, you know, there's kind of a famous, um, this has nothing, uh, probably generalizable to many professions, but there's a, um, or maybe not, I don't know, a famous line from a, a book called the house of God, which is kind of a interesting read, uh, I'd say even required read for anyone going into medicine um, before they start their intern year. Um, and one of the rules is uh, first check your own pulse. So before you get excited, worked up about something, you know, check your own pulse. And then it's kind of like the wind the clock thing and the, oh, okay. you know, for. Oh, I was for not sure I quite understood what that meant. You know, what the significance of check your own pulse is. Yeah. But, so okay. just before, you know, before you start getting caught up in the, oh my gosh, I need to do this, 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 this. If you're presented with a situation that seems a little overwhelming, just take that moment to take a step back for half a second. Remember you have time most of the time. Think through it logically. Mm -hmm. And that's really important, I think. That is important. I'll just add that much. Okay. Um, And um, our producer in the background there has already taken care of um, making an effort to uh, revisit this on a, on a future show. So that's good. Um, hopefully that gave you some, you know, some advice, Tom, and hopefully you'll receive more. Uh, and congratulations again for your, your progress. Um, item six from Moshe um, in Israel, Moshe. Uh, in case you haven't yet seen it, attached is the terrific field guide to NOTAMs, produced by the Ops Group uh, creators of death2notams.com. <laughs> I expect this guide will be especially useful, useful for Captain Nick, who in his retirement has plenty of spare time to seek out and photograph NOTAMs that are in danger of extinction. And again, this is from um, Moshe Greenberg in uh, Israel. and. Um, I have a, um, the PDF of it in our show notes, Steph, I don't know if you had a chance to look through it, but whoever came up with this, um, field guide to notums has a very, very good sense of humor. It's a really yes, I, funny Yes, I did read. look through. <laughs> I have seen this. I've read through a little bit of it. Not all of it. Well, but. I'll just read a little bit of the foreword. Uh, for the last hundred years, the NOTAM has existed without fear of predator, unchanged and unchallenged. It has lived freely in our aviation ecosystem, blissfully unaffected by technological development that has long seen the demise of other primitive species such as Morse code, the telegram, and Loran Sea navigation. NOTAMs, too, will disappear, so take advantage of their abundance while you can. With this field guide, you can embark upon your own adventure, finding the multitude of varieties that still exist. Uh, so that's just a little, uh, a little taste. Um, the next page. Um, talks about, for an, another little snippet here, the crane notam, mm-hmm. notamus constructus, a nice Latin 
uh, version of the crane notam. Very common in Europe and North America, the crane notam is part of the larger irrelevantus family. (laughs) Irrelevantus. Most airports are near cities. Most cities and airports have construction, so there are a lot of cranes. These are at most a few hundred feet high and usually very far from the runway. Nonetheless, any crane within Ubering distance of an airport is added to the NOTAM system. And then it has an example, uh, this one from um, Lima, India, Mike Echo, Milan. Obstacle crane erected with FW, FLW characteristics. Following characteristics. Oh, following characteristics, yeah. yes. PSN. WGS-84, 452, uh, 454232.90 north, 0093904.75 east, elevation AGL 98.4 feet, 30 meters. And then it goes on with some other. <laughs> I like the, uh, they've given some helpful um, uh, diagrams or um, not diagrams, the pictures of different types of cranes so that you can identify i like that they've included the whooping crane yes which is actually a bird (laughs) common cranes tower crane truck crane terrain crane whooping crane (laughs) then it has a little section for your own notes um and then it has some nice um (laughs) some nice quotes from various people this one an american Mm -hmm. airlines pilot or an american pilot i'm sorry Uh, i'm not going to read it because it does have some foul language in it um, i like the quote from donald trump though uh let me see it's Which a little further down section says, is that make no tams great again yes donald trump captain air force one well you know we've talked about <laughs> no tams um in the past on our show many times actually and how uh so much of what is there is completely irrelevant and even The NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board Chairman Robert Sumalt himself, uh, during the, uh, uh, I guess they were discussing the final report of the Canadian Air Canada near crash at San Francisco. Um, And they were, one of the things they were uh, discussing was NOTAMs. And uh, again, here's his quote. That's what NOTAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage that nobody pays any attention to. So, yeah, yeah, we have that. So really, you do need to check out the show notes here to um, get download the field guide to NOTAMs from the uh, death to NOTAMs group people. Uh, Very, very funny. Thank you, Moshe, for for, uh, giving us that link and reminding us of this great piece of literature. No, it's very funny, and it definitely drives home the point of how ridiculous a lot of NOTAMs are. Yep, it really does. It's a great read. Um, Item 7 from producer Steve. An interesting development in the investigation of this light aircraft crash. uh, Mm, Yeah, we covered this one um, fairly extensively earlier Mm -hmm. in the year, correct? Yes. Uh, The soccer or the footballer, uh, Emiliano Salah. Uh, was uh, the passenger, the single sole passenger aboard a a small um, commercial flight, uh, single pilot. And he says, an interesting development um, Might you might want to mention. Uh, clearly, we don't yet know the root cause of the crash, but the high 
CO2 in the, in the passenger is clearly a big red flag. I know we've done the CO2 debate to death, but, uh, or before, so probably not one to dwell on, but it does serve as a reminder of the potential dangers of CO2 poisoning in general aviation. And again, this is Steve Hurst, and he gave us a link to this article. And uh, as I said, or as Steve said, they found that the footballer Emiliano Salah was exposed to high levels of carbon monoxide prior to a fatal plane crash in the English Channel, a, a report has revealed. He was 28, and the pilot David uh, Ibbotson, 59, crashed on the 21st of January while traveling from Nantes in France to Cardiff. I'm not sure. Is that the way sure. you pronounce Nantes? Sure. Um, Nailed it. But I've I've lost it in the oh, other okay. oh, N A T. Oh, no, N-A-N-T-E. that's not how you pronounce it. Oh. Um, but I'm not gonna say it right either. So okay. sure. That's fine. Sure. Uh, toxology tests on Salah's body showed CO no. levels in his blood were so great it could have caused a seizure, unconsciousness, or a heart attack. Uh so Steph, so you're the doctor here. Um to me, not a doctor, it looks like a Fifty-eight percent level of carbon monoxide. Um, oh no, no, I'm sorry. That's what. Um, oh yeah, he mm-hmm. did have a level of fifty-eight percent. That seems really high to me. It is really high. Yeah, that's not normal. I mean, uh, I don't know what a normal amount would be. What I, I would think it would be like single digits at most, maybe even yeah, a fraction like of a digit. Very close to zero. Yeah. Wow. So they still haven't found the body of the pilot Ibbotson. Um, but uh, they do know where the the wreckage of the airplane is, um, mm-hmm. and I think they're still trying to get funding to bring the thing up to the surface. Yeah, not. Yeah, I mean, not. Yeah, it's not. No, I can't. No, I can't make that sound correctly. I know how it's okay. supposed to sound, but I can't do it correctly. So. Uh, okay, thank you, Liz. No. So, what do you think, Steph? Uh, you think that this is? Um, um, I mean, I, I think we probably don't know for. Uh, was this part of their final report, or this? I don't was think so. Part, this was just a intermediate. Hey, we found this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, certainly. You know, this was a Piper Malibu, I mm-hmm. believe. So yes. piston engine. Um, so certainly could produce carbon monoxide if you had faulty heating or ventilation or something along those lines. Um, yeah, and if you're exposed to high levels of carbon monoxide like that, that certainly can result in a situation where you're, um not able to think clearly unconscious and would not be able to continue to safely mm. uh, pilot an aircraft and it could result in a crash. Um, that's one possibility of what may have happened here. Um, I'm not sure how else you end up with such high levels of carbon monoxide in your system if that was not a significant contributing cause or factor. Um, but we'll see. It sounds like we're, we might get some more information again in the future. Yes. Yeah, I had not read the update on this, uh, Steve, so thank you for making us aware of it. And mm-hmm. um, hopefully they'll get whatever is necessary to retrieve the wreckage of the airplane so they can inspect it more closely to see if that is perhaps um, one of the causes of this tragedy. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, did you see, did you say CO2 level at some point? I did. It's just, okay. So, CO, sorry, just carbon but, monoxide. Yeah. Okay carbon monoxide is co but yeah. i could have sworn i was reading something that said you may CO2. have been i was looking back i just wanted to make sure we um okay um sometimes it's just easy to read oh, off well, what you expect um, to, to steve see. said co2 
Oh, okay. Um, so oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the he article did. itself, mm-hmm. I think it's just CO. Yeah. Right. And sorry, I was not even paying attention to that because I was yeah. forwarding down into the, the article to look through it. Yeah, so. you're right. It's uh, carbon monoxide, not dioxide. So CO. Steve, you didn't do well in chem- chemistry, did you? We're just getting Steve back up to 50% here. Yeah. Come on, Steve. Mm-hmm. You get, you're better than that. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We, we knew what you meant. Everyone knew what you meant. It's all good. See, I didn't notice. She was the one. Am I no, it was right someone direction? in the chat room. Because oh. honestly, you were reading through that and I was actually looking down in the, the article and I wasn't paying attention yeah. to you. I'm sorry. I wasn't paying bad. close attention to what I was saying either, which is normal. <laughs> <laughs> we're why, all doing really that's well That's why Steph tonight. is here. Doing really- <laughs> to pay attention to one of Or Liz, actually. She's the Liz one. Liz is that, paying attention. Yeah. Chat room's paying attention. What are you they talking about, Jeff? Here. Yeah. Like carbon dioxide. Like, it gets very distracting sometimes when I'm trying to read things and I see all these messages going on. I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to Well, look. just as, as usual, I've done a lot of preparation for this show. Uh-huh. Um, so, and by that, I mean, I've done zero preparation. Yeah, we know. We understand your sarcasm. So as, <laughs> you know, as Jeff's like starting to read the, um, whatever the commentary is from whoever sent in the, <laughs> the item of interest, I'm actually reading the item of interest. For the first time. For the first time. So yeah, we'll that's okay. Hey, we, can, we take whatever we can get here. You're, you're a fast read. Okay. Um, let's move on to item number eight. Uh, Robbie. My name's Robbie. I'm an aviation enthusiast interested in getting involved in aviation. I'm interested in taking flying lessons of some variety when I have time, but I'm leaving my home in Westchester, Pennsylvania, just outside of Philadelphia, for Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University, and I don't expect to have a lot of time for anything other than studying. And drinking beer. Speaking of which, I plan to study aerospace engineering since there are so many interesting topics, tracks that pertain to it. None of this is particularly important to the podcast, so I'll get to the important stuff. First, I'm not asking any questions today as I only discovered your podcast a month ago and I've only gotten through episode 58. I chuckle every time I hear someone saying that they're working to catch up because they have a lot less to work through than I do. And I'm not going to bother answering your questions about show length, favorite weather app, etc. The only purpose that will that will serve to you and your listeners is a trip down memory lane for anyone who has listened to the early episodes. The two real topics that I have been building up to with the deliberateness of a cow meandering its way about do relate somewhat to both the past episodes and the present. First, I'd forgotten that the Boeing 787 had been grounded for a while, not long after its debut. Yeah, they had all those battery problems. Of course, the 737 MAX aircraft groundings are not directly comparable, but it makes me feel better overall about the eventual return of the 737 MAX aircraft to everyday use. The other topic I wanted to bring up was the following article I saw this morning, which can be found at the link, and then he gives us the link. Um, Let's see, and the, the title, uh, the headline of this link is Flight Attendant 43, who contracted measles on flight, dies after battling the disease for five months. So going back to Robbie's feedback here. Just yesterday, I was listening to episode 58 and you were rambling on and on and on. No, just kidding. You spent an appropriate amount of time on the topic. Anyway, you were talking about two British Airways crew members who have both died at 43 and uh, posthumously accused, did I said that right? Posthumously? Posthumously. Uh, mm-hmm. Accused aerotoxicity, I think that's what it was called, to be the main cause of their death. Again, 
They're not entirely related, but it's still close enough that I felt like I could take up some valuable podcast time. Well, you can always take up valuable podcast time, Robbie. Um, obviously, I won't be in Pennsylvania very often in the foreseeable future, and even if I was, I'm underage. But in Downingtown, I'm uh, Downingtown, or is it Downington? Probably. Mm, PA, Downingtown. Never been there. It's near Philadelphia. Is it called Downingtown? Uh, I want to say yes. Okay. You have. Uh, it has been recorded. <laughs> My answer has been recorded. It has will, been recorded. I will be corrected in due time if I am incorrect. Say it one more time. No. Please. <laughs> Downingtown? Downington? Okay. The, um, yep. The judges say, hand, judges say yes, that is correct. Okay. Good. Very good. We don't have any judges. I'm just making that up. No. Um, Admittedly, Though not the, very. The terrible thing is, I did live in that area at one point in my life, and I really probably yeah, I, should know. I have an excuse. I have never heard of that mm. town, and I've never lived close to mm. Philadelphia or in Philadelphia. Anyway, he said, admittedly, not very close to Philadelphia, there's a craft brewery called Victory Brewing Company, which I've been told is superb. And yes, I can verify that Victory Brewing is awesome. Uh, the particulars I, that I've heard are the Dirt Wolf, my mom's personal favorite. Ah, your mom has good taste which is a double IPA and has a bit of a grapefruit taste to it. Hop Devil, a regular IPA. Bing. Let's give a Hop Devil. Um, Bing. That's a good one. And Golden Monkey, a Belgian-style beer. Not tried that one. Um, I also hear that you can find some of these around the country if you're lucky, so keep an eye out. Yep, I, I think I can get them at Total Wine here in um, Alpharetta. Nice. I'm eager, eagerly awaiting... To hear your response, which I probably won't get to for another 16 months. <laughs> your question, your show is amazing, and I can't wait to listen to the next 320-ish episodes so I can ask you all of my questions. Right now, I have enough to fill a whole episode. Maybe we should do that. Wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds when appropriate. And again, this is Robert, uh, excuse me, Robbie Guldi, and the um, the article that he refers to Steph um, again as the flight attendant uh, for LL uh, was working on a flight in late March when she contracted the infectious disease measles and then she was hospitalized and um, she died uh, this week following a five-month mm -hmm. battle with the infectious disease. Uh, Rotem Amatai, a 43-year-old employee for LL, Passed away on Tuesday after contracting measles at the end of March and falling into a, falling into a deep coma, the Washington Post reports. She was flying from New York's John F. Kennedy International Airport to Israel around the time she began to show symptoms of the virus. She was later hospitalized and after developing encephalitis, an infl inflammation of the brain caused by the disease, according to the outlet. Um, days after landing in Israel, the Israeli Ministry of Health released an alert about a measles patient on board an LL flight from JFK uh, into Israel on March 26th to 27th, but did not mention specifically whether she was exposed to the illness while on the aircraft. At this time, or at the time, officials also could not confirm where, where or when she may have contracted the virus, but noted that she did not appear to spread measles to anyone else on the flight, according to the report from the Washington Post. Medical professionals were unable to speak with her after she fell into a coma, but eventually got in contact with her mother, who verified that her daughter had received the required vaccines as a child. Still, the vaccine from her childhood may not have been strong enough to prevent her from con contracting the virus, as patients were given a single dose of the vaccine in the 70s. 
These days, Israeli medical officials recommend giving children one dose when they're 12 months old and another one when they're in the first grade. Why didn't they just say one-year-old? Wouldn't that be easier? 12 months. <laughs> I never get that. Like when you have a kid and there's, tw- how, how old is your child? Well, where, where did this article months? originate for, from? <laughs> um, I feel like that happens outside of the, we like to say year, year and a half. Yeah, I, I, I just like I was in other like, places. It's more. So when you say eighteen months, tea. I say it's a year and a half, right? Eighteen months. You know, those parents have just been counting every single month, though. If it's their only their first child or their only child, yeah, taking pictures for Instagram with the cute little all right number. I'm just I know, and that's the way they do the the clothing and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so uh, one dose when they're twelve months old, and another one when they're in first grade. In a statement to the Jewish press, a spokesperson for El Al. Uh, expressed their condolences to her family and said that they were properly handling the matter in accordance with the health ministry's guidelines. Uh, the company is bowing its head over the death of a member of LL's aircrew, the spokesperson told the outlet. The company will continue to act on the matter in accordance with the health ministry's guidelines. Once the case became known, the company acted to vaccinate the company's aircrews, the spokesperson added. The company shares the deep grief of the family and will continue to accompany the family which is very nice of them to say that and to do that. Um, so what do you think, Steph? Uh, you, you know, you hear about mm-hmm. these measles outbreaks and such. Um, yeah, so we've, we, yeah, we've definitely got a problem with that right now with um, some of the trend of uh, parents not choosing not to vaccinate their children or at least not keep up with the suggested um, time frame for vaccinations recently because of other fears, which have since been mostly, or since been completely debunked, I should say. Um, but it's really, really, really important that people get these vaccinations, especially for something like measles, because measles is really highly contagious. Um, something like it can live up to two hours in an airspace where an infected person has coughed or sneezed. So if you're on a plane with someone who happens to have a measles infection and they cough or sneeze, that air around them has that virus it's alive for up to two hours. And that can be enough for you to become infected if you are not appropriately vaccinated against the disease. But we should also say something about the fact that it's not necessarily as as serious as it was for this flight attendant as far as getting the mm. encephalitis and I mean No, 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 but I mean it, it does have the potential to be that way and yeah. the 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 point I'm trying to make is that there is a vaccination for it that right. is highly effective and especially if you're going to be um, kind of working in close quarters, especially mm-hmm. for folks like me working in healthcare or medicine, right. um, and really just for everyone, you should be vaccinated against this yeah. particular virus. Yeah, the MWR, um, I think, is the vaccine that they refer measles, to. Measles, mumps, and rubella are yeah. MMR. Or MMR, thank you. Mm-hmm. MWR is the Military Welfare and Recreation Department. Yeah. Which has nothing to do um, with vaccinations. Interestingly, I just pulled up the CDC here and it talks about uh, planning for travel and um, uh, protecting yourself against measles. It says most measles cases in the United States result from international travel. Uh, So make sure you're protected. If your trip is less than two weeks away and you're not protected against measles, you should still get a dose of the MMR vaccine. Okay. There you go. There you have it. That's from a doctor. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, thanks, Robbie, and um, good luck with your 
college education. And I hope you have time or have time, have fun at where, where do you say he was going? Um, Pennsylvania Polytech or something like that. What is that? Uh, Virginia Polytechnic. There you go. Institute and state university. Okay. All right. Moving on. Number nine. And this is from Anthony. And also, um, let's see. This is uh, he gave us a link to an article from mentalfloss.com. I always enjoy reading their stuff. Um, And he says, and you think drones are problematic? All the best (laughs) to the best crew. Anthony S. in West Caldwell, New Jersey. And he, uh, this link to Mental Floss uh, magazine or mentalfloss.com refers to uh, in 1959, the U.S. Postal Service attempted to deliver mail via missile or <laughs> missile, if you prefer. Missile, yes. Uh, if you're from, uh, if you're British, right? Is that the way they would say it? Missile. I don't know. In the late 1950s, the future was up in the air. Oh. <laughs> The space race was just getting started. Where's yeah. the, where's your room I'm going to try that again. Okay. In the late 1950s, the future was up in the air. Excellent. The space race was just getting started and the U S military was working on missiles that could reach around the world and even to the moon. The U S government didn't just see new flight capabilities as military priorities though. It also thought that they could be used to carry mail. As we recently learned from today, I found out. Yes, the Postal Service once tried sending letters by missile mail. In June 1959, the U.S. Navy sent 3,000 letters on a guided missile toward a Naval Auxiliary Air Station in Mayport, Florida, launched from the USS Barbero, a submarine that was stationed 100 miles off the U.S. coast in international waters. The 36-foot Regulus-1 missile made it to Mayport in 22 minutes. That's fast. That is pretty fast. Held in two metal containers, it was supposed to be the missile's warhead chamber. The letters on board were copies of a letter from Postmaster General Arthur Summerfield to then-President Eisenhower, Vice President Richard Nixon, individual representatives of Congress, members of the Supreme Court, the crew of the Barbero, and more. The letters carried regular mail stamps, not even airmail, as the AP story that day noted. Okay. Turns out that they were soaking wet because they they were in a submarine. I mean, come on. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, uh, Here we go. The Postal Service heralded it as the first successful delivery of mail by missile. There had been previous attempts, like a thwarted 1936 delivery on a rocket-powered plane across a lake between New York and New Jersey. Despite several attempts, that one never fully made it um, made a successful delivery, but delivery quote unquote was a bit of an overstatement. Most of those letters had to be sent by regular mail service at a post office in nearby Jacksonville. Since the 3000 recipients weren't sitting around at a Naval base in Florida waiting for their letter. Well, why not? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, come on. If they had Your mail's going to be here on this day. You're going to have to go pick it up. Yeah. Watch out for the incoming missile. They should have known. I mean, if they had known that a <laughs> missile was bringing their mail, they may have actually shown up. I would have. Hey, I want to yeah. see this missile uh, yeah. bringing me my mail. I mean, it'd have been like, nope, I got a postcard coming today. <laughs> Gonna have to go down to the naval station, <laughs> naval base. <laughs> Let's see. Now that we can, now that we know we can do it, Summerfield told the press, we plan a series of discussions to determine the practical extent <laughs> to which the method can be used and under what conditions. It never did become practical, as we now know. 
Summerfield's successor, J. Edward Day, killed the program, pointing out that letters sent from the USS Barbero ended up taking some eight days to reach their intended recipients. (laughs) Not exactly rocket speed. Uh, Anyway, so it goes on to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. I have no idea that there was a point at which they were considering sending the mail, not air mail, but missile mail. Rocket mail. Rocket mail. Rocket mail. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Tim sent us, oh, I'm sorry, not Tim. Jim? Jim. <laughs> Let me lower this a little bit. I'm, I'm wearing my, uh, Your, progressive, uh progressive lenses. Uh-huh. <laughs> I can, I can always tell when that's, that's happened. The, because that's it's the like, distant, uh, vision range yes. that it's in. Oh, I can man, see there's writing. Do you hear that going on in the background right now? No. It is absolutely just coming down. Cats and dogs out there like pouring thunder lightning all kinds of wind yeah that's how good that microphone is is. yeah it is like so it's only 652 it should still be daylight for another hour or so it is pitch black outside right now wow it's impressive so but hey kids still here that's that's what a dynamic microphone a a good dynamic microphone Mm -hmm. microphone does for you because we can't hear a thing nope except like i'm in a little her voice little soundproof box right here yeah all right well be safe. Hunker down. If we see the wall collapse and rain <laughs> yeah, and everything if, else. If all of a sudden like a big tree branch we'll comes somebody. crashing through, <laughs> just, just call someone. I don't yeah. know. It's fine. Yeah. You might want to head over to uh, this address. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out. She may or may not be alive. Yeah. Okay. Item 10 from Jim, just a navigator, also producer. Uh, he says, here is a one drive link to a two minute feedback concerning the BAE 146 and navigators. He says, as usual, feel free to use it all part of no, part or none of this audio file. Um, I had a conversation with Captain Nick in which I mentioned a podcast about F4s that I thought he might be interested in. That was the fighter pilot podcast. And here's a link to that. Oh, yeah. What's the guy's name? Nello Jello Yellow. Nello, <laughs> the guy that does the fighter huh? pilot podcast. Oh, is good. I think uh, that's the one that he's referring to, isn't it? Yes. I think it's, uh, I don't a, remember his, he's I've a, only listened to like I, a episode. I, I think his episode. nickname's like Jello or something. Okay. Like that. Something somebody, like that, in the, yes. somebody in the chat room will, will correct, correct me. I'm sure yeah. Jen probably. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, so we have a link to that. Um, Jello. Thank you, Glenn. Ding. Our APG community comes through for us. Yes. All right. Um, We'll put that link in the show notes for Nick. And uh, let's play the feedback that Jim, just a navigator, sent in. Howdy, APG cockpit crew and listeners. This is Jim, just a navigator in Texas. I wanted to thank the APG cockpit crew and everyone who showed up at the Oshkosh gatherings that we had. It was really a lot of fun to put so many faces to voices and meet so many new people from all over the world. I have to single out uh, Colonel Jeff, who taught me a whole lot about the F-15E that I didn't know. Sounds like a really cool airplane. I have a tad of feedback for APG 386, I believe it was, where we talked about the BAE-146. 
while I was in Upper Hayford in England in the late 80s, there was a BAE 146 accident. A member of the British royal family was flying what I think was a 146 that belonged to number 32 squadron. It ran off the end of the runway. There are many reasons why an airplane might run off the end of the runway, of course, but the problem here was obvious. There was a navigator on board, so obviously it was the navigator's fault that the royal family member pilot ran his airplane off the end of the runway. Obviously. I mean, I don't think the the inquiry took more than five minutes to look around, point to the poor navigator and say, obviously it's his fault. So some things are international. I have another similar story about a navigator who was blamed for not dying in an airplane. I'll save that one for another feedback later. Anyway, again, thank you for everybody who who showed up at Oshkosh and milled around the, the APG luxury bus and all, all the people, especially the APG crew who put all that together. Uh, thank you very much, and I look forward to listening more. This is Jim in Texas. Hey, Jim, it was our pleasure. It was a blast, literally, an Osh blast. An Osh blast, yes. Yeah. Uh, it was great seeing you, Jim, at the, uh, at the show. Um, and visiting the uh, the APG Mobile Palace. <laughs> um, oh, so many names for that. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, obviously that was it was a navigator's fault for that incident. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it's clear. I mean, come on, it really goes without saying. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, let's see. I look forward to the next or the uh, what did you what do you say the uh, other instance at least that he could think of where things were blamed on the navigator when <laughs> clearly in his opinion, it's it a was. theme. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, moving on to item 11, which believe it or not is, uh, the last item in our current show folder. I, I do have some extra stuff here and there, um, that we can use if we want to, we may okay. want to just uh, to. end it uh, early, but yeah. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Sure. Um, but this is from Robert, and he says he's checking in from LGB, which is Long Beach Airport. And he said, I recorded this quick video for your guys, for you guys at Unique Retro LGB yesterday. Uh, the reason why he says retro, because they still, believe it or not, don't have, um, what do you call them? The uh, jetways and stuff, the uh, oh, jet like bridges. Jet bridge? Yeah, they, just just, they still have air stairs from the and ramp, stuff. Air stairs and- yeah. And the weather's usually great. So well, it's fine. Really so it doesn't it. matter if you walk outside a little bit. Yeah, not like Albany, New York, where they had air stairs for many, many years, uh, including in the middle of bri- blizzards. How's, how's the weather in <laughs> Albany in, in like January Horrible. or February? Terrible. No, not good. Not yeah. good. I saw old ladies getting blown off the air stairs and oh into, the, into the taxiways, I think. We haven't seen oh, them. Geez. I don't know where they went. Anyway, uh, back to uh, Robert's. Uh, feedback. I didn't make it to the Mad Dog factory nearby that has been turned into a Mercedes Benz plant, but hope the crew is well. And uh, so we'll just play a quick um, snippet. Oh, I thought I got some audio from this. Huh. Let me see what happens if I press this button. Nothing. (laughs) Hang on. Hang on. Hey, I'm APG crew and uh, checked in with you guys for a bit. I'm um, going to try to stop by over by the, uh, the Mad Dog uh, birthplace. It's here near uh, Long Beach. Just uh, touched down here in beautiful California. 
Um, but I uh, hope all is well. Um, uh, let's see. I checked it with an episode or two lately, but um, oh, you guys were at Oshkosh. That's right. So uh, thanks for the updates up there. And um, the, about a week and a half in uh, sunny California. And uh, maybe about a 0.2% chance of rain we'll see out here. And uh, so catch up with you guys soon. Thanks. Bye. Okay, we'll put that link to his Facebook video in the show notes if you want to see uh, the the beautiful background. He has the he's framed it pretty well, so you can see the uh, Long Beach Airport Tower behind him, and yeah, you can see the beautiful blue skies and and I'm sure non humid air. Uh, and that was not far at all from where I grew up basically i was actually born in long beach i grew um, a couple years in lakewood which is very close to the long beach airport and los alamitos which is also very close to the long beach airport um so glad you had a good trip there uh robert thanks for sending that in and let me see here how's it how's it going out there um stuff Mm, still dark still very loud and uh very rainy and windy Uh uh-oh yeah Okay, well, we can end the show if you'd like, or we can... No, it's uh, okay. We, okay. we can keep going. I'm good. Let me uh, find... I have to... Okay. Here's a good one. Two five right, we have Charlie 9 Bravo. We have Alpha. Double 1394, give way that heavy there at Tango 1, then taxi. Flight deck, welcome aboard American Airlines flight 292 with service to JFK. Just a couple checks left to complete up front here. We'll be ready to go. Once everyone's seated in the back with the carry-on stowed and we have your baggage stowed underneath, we'll be able to uh, push from the gate. Looks like about 20 minutes for an average taxi time for uh, takeoff. Once we are airborne, looking at five hours. Flight time and route to JFK. We're anticipating the ride to be good. Yeah, ground, yeah, ground. Tonight. Oh my God! All right, Captain Two One, we can get Charlie outbound and wait. Uh, JFK, looking winds out of the southeast at seven, ten miles visibility with partly cloudy skies and a temperature of uh, fifty-five degrees. I know most of you are going to want to relax and uh, probably sleep most of the way to uh, JFK tonight. So this is going to be my only announcement. See you tonight. I mean, uh, it's absolutely necessary. That we won't, uh, be waking anyone up. Thanks. For now, I hope you have a good flight. Uh, sit back, relax, and uh, welcome. Get around. Thanks for the brief. Two five zero one one. And for Delta thirteen ninety four, Tango via then what? Delta thirteen ninety four, Tango Bravo two five right. Tango Bravo two five right, Delta thirteen ninety four. Anyway, <laughs> not the first You're time. You're on that's, ground. You're on ground. It's funny. Ground. Have you, you notice everybody's trying to trying to transmit like, as well, and all you can hear mm-hmm. is like the boop. Click, 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 click. Yeah. Wow. Ooh, I did hear that. The house that, actually shook with that one. I was going to say, if we can like, hear it through that microphone, that's got to be darn loud. shaking. <laughs> wow. It's a oh, good storm. I hope that there are no tornadoes uh, involved with no the storm. Idea. Wow. Yeah, that was impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not talking I, about the PA on ground control at LAX. No, no, no. I mean, that was also impressive. <laughs> it was, it was funny. a very nice PA. <laughs> it was a very nice PA. And it was interesting. He kind of let go of the button for a second. And I think yep. that most everybody thought, oh, thank goodness he's, he's realized that he's yes. trans. 
No, he was just no, taking. No, keeps a, going. Just, he was just taking just a breath. A gulp of air, and let's continue with this PA. It's going to be the best. PA I love the ground controller. Oh my god! Oh, oh my god! Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> because you can imagine she's like trying she's to. She's got work to do. Los Angeles you know? International Airport a, is a busy place. Yeah. And she's trying to make like keep everything moving and everything else, and basically he's blocking everything. Everybody's got to stop. Yeah. Like you said, though. Not the first time. Oh, no. Not the last time. No. I, not the last time it would probably happen to any of us either. Nope. I'm not going to, I'm um, not going to shake my finger at that guy. Not hmm. going to do it. Have you, have you done it? I'm not going to say. <laughs> I've, I've done it on a, um, in flight frequency, uh-huh. like a center frequency, which is okay. not, doesn't have the same implications. Right. And they're not, not as much going on time critical wise, uh, as there is on <laughs> ground control frequency at a major international airport. Um, so I have not done that yet. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, um, let's see, I'm looking at maybe just, what was this one here? Um, now I'll save that one for a next, another show. Um, this is kind of an interesting one also at Los Angeles International Airport. Tower, good evening, Alaska 229, about three miles from Lima, 259. Lars 914, Lars nine one four traffic one o'clock less than a mile northbound one thousand two hundred type unknown. And type is there an aircraft eleven hundred feet uh, three miles east of LAX airport? Who's the uh, aircraft three miles east of LAX? Alaska two two nine mile and a half from Lima. Alaska 229, LA Terrawind, 2306, runway 25 left, Curtis Land. Curtis Land, 25 left, Alaska 229. Please 16, are you on a call? 6 Roger, we're after. He's a three mile final, 2-4. Um, he's, I don't know, I think he's circling. He's coming back. Alaska 229, traffic alert, traffic 12 o'clock, three miles southbound, altitude indicates 1,300, type unknown. It does have a transponder there. Nobody is talking to that aircraft, including approach control. Do you have that traffic in sight? Yeah, we got him in sight uh, 12 o'clock, and uh, yeah, going southbound. Okay, Alaska 229, thank you. He's, he's trying to, he's, he's circling back. He's, he's aiming for another aircraft right now. He's passing right behind him on a one-mile final, 2-4. We think it might be a helicopter. And he's uh, heading back towards Hawthorne Airport right now. Roger. Police 16, sir, if I could, let's come up and uh, get close to the floor. I'll take a look, sir. Okay. I'll go ahead and stop it right there. Um, so, wow. three-mile final, 1,000 feet. Hmm. Yeah, do that math. Three to one, it sounds to me like, which is a... A it's standard about in that glide path. vicinity of the glide path. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that'd mm-hmm. be like right on a three to one glide mm-hmm. path yep. where this guy uh, obviously lost, obviously not <laughs> understanding that he is um, on like, flying nice right through the finals. Seeing here in, let's just make a little turn around. We'll go back again and take a look at the airport here. And, uh, and two fours, those are the runways on the northern side mm-hmm, of LA. Mm-hmm. So he's on the northern finals. And Hawthorne is south east of the um, of the two fives, pretty close to the Los Angeles International Airport, actually. Okay. And uh, so, if he actually and basically later in this 
recording, it talks about the fact that they think that he finally made it to Hawthorne and landed. And if that's the case, that means he went right through all the finals at uh, LAX. And how they didn't have a midair there, I have no idea. But terrifying. That's the only information I could find about this. And whether it was a helicopter or whatever kind of uh, airplane, it doesn't matter. Did they say at one point it sounded like he was circling back around to actually like be in the way of an aircraft? Well, I don't think he was intentionally doing it. He was just just meandering. He was probably like flying around going, there should be a runway here somewhere. Where's that? Where's that In-N-Out burger everyone talks about? <laughs> I think that oh, down here. He wasn't far from that, actually. <laughs> no, no, I know. If he was on the north side of the two forests, that's exactly where that is. Exactly where you'd, you'd have a nice view of that, whatever kind of vehicle it was, uh, yeah. helicopter or yeah. fixed wing. Anyway, just thought that uh, that was interesting as well. Sometimes I like to uh, kind of check out live ATC and they'll have the interesting recordings. Interesting recordings. And uh, those were both um, on that uh, bulletin board. So I thought that I could throw them in there just in case we needed to talk about something. No, I think those are interesting. Yeah. So uh, check out liveatc.net. A lot of the uh, audio that we get um, air-to-air or air-to-ground audio is from that site. And they make a great app. Uh, Mm -hmm. Steph, have you ever used it while you're traveling? I used it yesterday while I was driving. Uh Uh-huh. Because, so, so, you know, this thunderstorm that's going on out here, this has been kind of the... This is the typical summer, end of summer in the south. You get these late afternoon thunderstorms where things are just kind of crazy. And I was going back into the, I'd actually come home early yesterday because Thursday is my early day. I was driving back into the city to uh, meet up with some friends in the evening and kind of stop and go traffic going back into Charlotte that time of day too. Um, But as as you're driving north on I-77, they were landing aircraft to the north. So you get a nice view of airplanes coming overhead on final mm-hmm. and the Lufthansa A350 that they fly in flew right over my head. And I went, Ooh, the A350. Cool. Nice. Cause that's the only one of that type that lands at Charlotte currently. Um, and it, I mean, it's, you know, usually it's like CRJs and stuff landing. So mm-hmm. it stands out. It's much larger. And then. Ooh, sorry. I heard that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Either somebody just crashed into the... your garage or yeah. that's the thunderstorm. That's the thunderstorm. Okay. <laughs> So, but anyway, you can see this thunderstorm like approaching Charlotte from the kind of north uh, west yesterday. Uh-huh. And I'm watching the flight, watching the flight, and then you see them going around. On the other, like they kind of disappeared, you know, behind the tree line for a second and then coming back around. Uh-huh. Um, kind of made a nice dramatic. I wish I had a better camera or way to take a picture of it because it was really cool with the storm coming in mm-hmm. and them turning and turning around. I was like, ooh, I wonder if there's wonder what's going on because the storm didn't look that close at that point but apparently there was some pretty <clears throat> significant wind shear already occurring because of that storm so and so with the app you can mm-hmm. so i pulled up the tower and approach control and was able to listen to what was going on and and get a little more insight they have a great network of people out there volunteers that have these scanners set up and then it's a live feed to liveatc.net you can listen to it on your computer or your mobile device you know if you have the app and it's it's basically real time i mean there's mm-hmm. a very small lag right in terms of how fast that gets uploaded if you're listening to the live feed yeah so especially handy for you aviation enthusiasts and spotters and of course if you're a spotter you probably already know about mm-hmm. the live atc app but uh check it out if you haven't yet and uh with that i think it's now time for us to end the show unless you have anything else steph No, nothing else here. Okay. It was a good show. 
Very just, good. Uh, we need to end the show before uh, Steph's demise. Exactly. My can, impending doom here. <laughs> your impending doom. Um, okay. Uh, if you want to send us feedback, there are several different ways to do that. Uh, one of which is good old email feedback, feedback at airlinepilotguy.com, where you can send us text feedback or do like many uh, of our community members do send audio and you can attach it to the email address feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. And speaking of airlinepilotguy.com, a great website where we have all kinds of good stuff on there about the crew and the community and merchandise and uh, the plane tales uh, and so much more, including the APG library. I haven't mentioned that in a while. Our librarian Tiffany maintains that. So if you're looking for a good read that's related to aviation, please check out the APG library. And as I said, many, many more things there at the APG uh, website, airlinepilotguy.com. And we are also on the Socialmeads. Socialmeads, head over to twitter.com and our handle there is APG Crew. Uh, you can find our individual Twitter information also pinned to the very top of that page. We like to um, have brief conversations there, 280 characters or less, if that's your thing. If you're a little more long-winded, head over to facebook.com slash airlinepilotguy. And again, lots of good community interaction, um, place to share different uh, links and articles and discuss um, happenings in the world of aviation and some meetup information in both of those places. But if you're really looking for more of that type of thing, head on over to Slack. Hang on. Hello. Hello. Uh Uh-oh. Timing, hello. Ah, oh yeah, Delta P. Yeah, we. It's your. You're on, man. It's your segment. What the heck is on this hand towel, Jeff? I don't want to know. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Sorry, Jeff, I might have used all your skin lotion. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Hillel. Appreciate it. He'll, he'll replace that, I'm sure. Yeah. And that's about it for this week's show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. A big shout-out to our producer, Liz, who's back from her uh, couple-of-week vacation. We missed you, and uh, thanks for being back full-time for us. And thank you to all of those who showed up to listen, watch the show uh, live, and hang out in our chat room. And... That's about it. So until next time, wishing you clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. Cheers, y'all.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy Cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine